This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You made it. Ow! You made it an entire week. Now you can just sit back and relax. Nothing to do on the weekend, right? No. Just kick back. Weekend's clear. Weekend's clear. BYU lost last night. That's At 2 a.m. Eastern. It was so it was late. Uh, by one point. Maddening. Maddening. Again? Yeah, to Boise State. <sighs> 14th ranked. But Boise, boy, they did. I mean, five turnovers or whatever, five or six. It was crazy. <sighs> and now I'm exhausted. That's not a that's not a good day to have a football game. Thursday or night. Self control, go to bed at ten. Yeah. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> at least that was closer than the Dodger game. What happened to the Dodger game? They lost eight four. So now they're down three games to two going back to Chicago. Dodgers. Oh boy. Ah oh, jeez. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton had dinner last night together. With 1,000 other people, yes. <laughs> and a cardinal sitting in between them. Yes. It kept it. Refereeing the place. Yeah. It kept it quite safe. We'll talk about uh, that fun night, that that charity event, um, and some of the jokes that came out of that because they, they kind of roast each other, really. That's the whole point, yes. And um, it's really, that's a high stakes charity event. Oh, it is. They they pan behind and you have all the former mayors and some yeah. of the governors of New York. They're up there. A bunch of media people. A lot of people that don't like each other. Absolutely. Uh, the headline on CNN: Clinton and Trump bring their bitterness to a charity dinner with smiles. <laughs> to kill you. Anyway, scary time there. Um, we'll get to that fun. Plus, um, some other interesting just quotes. Uh, we're going to let you in on all of their jokes. And if you're really lucky today, a little weird Al Yankovic – is it Yankovic? Yes. Yes. Moment. Weird Al, because he has time, apparently, put together a, like a remix of the debate. Hmm. That will be fun to hear. I think it's called Bad Hombres and Nasty Women. It will be on Twitter in a few minutes. Okay. Can hardly wait. We'll get to all of that fun and excitement. Plus, by the way, Back to the Future Day. You know, there isn't a person alive who hasn't seen this movie. That's not true. No, I'm pretty sure. My well, daughter? Well, Morgan. She's alive? She's never seen it? You know, I have a, I have a brother named Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> People keep saying that. I know they do. Um, apparently, Back to the Future Day celebrates the day that the DeLorean arrived in the future. Hmm. October 21st, 2015, they reannounced that they're going to revamp the the DeLorean. The DeLorean is going to production once again. Except I don't think it'll be stainless steel. It might be yeah. something else. But it'll look the same. No it, flex capacitor. It'll be a shiny plastic. No Mr. Fusion. No plutonium. No. Man, good. It's Count Your Buttons Day, too. Buttons. Button, button. Who's got the button? Buttons have been around nearly as long as we've had clothing. It's good to know. Yeah. It wasn't until about the 13th century in Germany that buttonholes first made an appearance. And boy, have they just, they've, nobody, you can't, you can't live without them. 
I mean, what would you do with a button if you didn't have a button? Zippers. I'd probably look at my smartphone. You just, and your shirt would fall (laughs) off. So happy Count Your Buttons Day. So much to do today. Holy cow. Plus, what if we could tell you the reason why many people don't trust politicians and maybe, and especially Hillary Clinton? For example. For example. She has a specific problem. She really does. And it's actually, it seems to be a strength. But it's a strength we don't trust. Hmm. When you think through decisions, it makes you seem more calculating. And then if you don't kind of get what you expected from somebody that was calculating, we don't trust them. Hmm. <laughs> so we'll talk about that, which is coming from a, a project out of Yale University. So uh, get ready for that if you want to learn how to trust better. But first... Let's go to the person we all trust the most, Sadie Nielsen, with the headline. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump doubled down on his stated refusal to accept the results of the election, telling supporters at an Ohio rally Thursday he would do so only if he comes out on top. I would like to promise and pledge to all of my voters and supporters and to all the people of the United States that I will totally accept the results of this great and historic presidential election if I win, Trump said to a roaring crowd in the city of Delaware. Trump has for days pushed the idea of a rigged election in which voter fraud would prevent him from winning. He later added, I would reserve my right to contest or file a legal challenge in the case of a questionable result. With only 19 days left until the election, Donald Trump's national political director said he has decided to take a step back from the campaign. In a statement to Political, Jim Murphy said he has not resigned, but for personal reasons is taking a lesser role. Murphy is a longtime GOP operative who joined the Trump campaign in June and has been establishing field programs and battleground states and serving as a point person between Trump and the RNC. More than 70 people, 70 million people tuned in to watch the final debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on Wednesday evening. While the ratings didn't quite reach the same heights as they did for the first Clinton-Trump debate, 84 million, they did dwarf the final debates between Barack Obama and John McCain in 2008 and Obama and Mitt Romney in 2012. And finally, I love a good story about a toilet. Um, (laughs) I just love a good toilet. Yeah, me too. Uh, So a pair of Chinese tourists returned a stolen toilet seat to a Japanese hotel with an apology and explanation they didn't realize it belonged to the facility. What? Come on, man. (laughs) Hotel in Nagoya contacted a travel agency after a toilet seat was reported missing from a room where two tourists from China stayed Monday. The agency said the toilet seat was sent back to the hotel after the couple and their travel group reached Mount Fuji. The (laughs) travel company released a statement on behalf of the company couple who said they found the spare toilet seat under the bed and thought it was property left behind by previous hotel guests. I offer my sincere apology and regrets, the statement said. Oh, my word. I hope the hotel and the local travel agency will treat this with leniency. I promise this improper behavior won't happen again. (laughs) So my question is, why was there a toilet seat under the bed in the first place? Is is this your toilet seat? (laughs) I thought this was someone else's. I thought that was just an extra one. I thought this is the one that I keep on my keychain. <laughs> that is, yeah, I don't know why they do. They were probably changing out toilet seats and they needed the room. And second question, why did they want it? I would just been like, oh, a toilet seat. I'm no, just going to not on. touch it and leave it there. Come on. Have you ever bought toilet seats? They're I, expensive. Uh, yes. Okay. Maybe it was gold plated. Ooh. 
So anytime I can get a free toilet seat, I'd take one. Yeah, okay. Sometimes even when they're not free, I just still take them. But like even know, when they're attached to a toilet. As long as you don't steal it from this Japanese hotel, because yeah. apparently they will track you down. We have ways to make you give us the toilet seat. Um, that didn't really apply to the story, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> no, it does. It totally applies. If I you were listening, it. but you were looking at your phone. I loved it. Well, no, it's the it. accent. It's no, we have ways. That's a more German. You can't tell me. There's got to be at least one German who lives in Japan, and he, oh. he's on the toilet seat finding oh. commission. Exactly. See, Jeffrey understands. Okay, you're right. Everything applies. See, 18 days. Um, so speaking of Weird Al Yankovic. And the third debate. Oh. Terry cannot get enough of Weird Al. So that debate was quite a debate. And we wanted to celebrate it, I guess, um, what, honor the – the because it's the last debate, folks. It's the last time you are going to have a chance to celebrate a debate between Donald and Hillary. So to, to, to be a part of the celebration, just let's take a, let's take a minute or so. And see what Weird Al does with the debate. For the Supreme Court, who would you choose? Please don't say me, I'm a busy dude. The Supreme Court, it's what it's all about. The Second Amendment is under such, such trauma. Guy, understand and respect gun ownership. Guy, hope the Senate confirms a nominee for President Obama. To stop a Cold War, what should we be doing? Would you go bomb Russell Vladimir Putin? This is our my best friend. He's our talented Hillary, and she's playing chicken. Look at the startup they signed. You are willing to spout the Putin line. These cyber attacks from the Kremlin are designed to influence our election. Putin has a very clear favorite in this race. He'd rather have a puppet as president of the United States. So there you go. Ooh, really I think good. that was more of in honor of Weird Al Yankovic than the yeah. debate. Yeah, I do too. And in in honesty, and all honesty, I don't. Th- that didn't seem like Weird Al. He's moderating. Yeah. It just it just seemed like it could be weirder. You should see the video. Is it pretty weird? <laughs> Bad hombres and nasty women. Wind machines. He's got monks behind him kind of giving <laughs> him the really? backup singers. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sad. Um, okay. So the big thing yesterday was, is Trump going to actually honor the results of the election that created a ton of uh, blowback on him. Let's hear his final answer. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to make a major announcement today. I would like to promise and pledge to all of my voters and supporters and to all of the people of the United States that I will totally accept the results of this great an historic presidential election if I win. <laughs> oh, boy. Polit- a political morning consult poll. Yes. 56% of self-identified conservatives think that the loser should accept the result. 53% of self-identified Tea Party supporters say the loser should accept the result, mm. right? So then it says uh, just 24% of Trump supporters want him to challenge a potential victory by Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Well, he's not going to lose. 
So that's not going to be a problem. And 46% of the electorate, roughly almost half, say it's very or somewhat likely there will be some sort of voter fraud. <laughs> well, and I, I – yeah, it's probably true. I mean but voter fraud could be one person. I mean voter fraud honestly could have been me last night encouraging my 21-year-old son to vote a certain way. Hmm. But I didn't. I just walked away. Right. Because I had already encouraged my wife to do it. So problem solved. No. <laughs> no, I – it's – but my son sitting right there, I could have filled out his entire ballot for him. He wouldn't have even known. Voter fraud. Tell me that's not happening somewhere in the country. So yeah, there will be voter fraud. But to a level that it's going to affect the result? No. Well, yeah, 50 people. That would I mean apparently that's what they find in like the suburbs of Philadelphia. Regularly 50 people end up voting that are dead or something. Does, does that, that affect the Does it change anything? No, just probably not. 100th of 1 millionth of 1%. Yeah, I think so. it's okay if those people who are deceased would have voted that way anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you know how they wanted to vote, that that might make up uh, some of that. Hey, as far as the charity last night and the roast of each other. Um, the Alfred E. Smith Dinner. The Alfred E. Smith Dinner, which is for a Catholic charity, right? It's for the and, Archdiocese of mm-hmm. New York and their – it's for children, charities, that type of thing. So. And I think it's Cardinal Dolan yes. sits there between the two uh, candidates, candidates yeah. and they just oh, – there's just a lot of tension in the room. And Donald Trump was kind of – he just didn't seem like he was enjoying dinner. You know, it's hard. So let's run through some of the things we learned last night. Uh, Trump on, um, on his modesty. They say when you do this kind of an event, you always start out – with a self-deprecating joke. Some people think this would be tough for me, but the truth is, the truth is I'm actually a modest person, very modest, it's true. In fact, many people tell me that modesty is perhaps my best quality. (laughs) Even better than my temperament. It's funny because he's laughing about that. Yeah. But, you know, a week ago he was saying he has the best temperament. Right. <laughs> he knows. So it's kind of self-aware, but he doesn't believe it. And what this is where they can really come together. I mean, this is uh, a clip on Trump getting along with Clinton. We have proven that we can actually be civil to each other. In fact, just before taking the dais, Hillary accidentally bumped into me. And she very civilly said, pardon me. (laughs) And I very politely replied, let me talk to you about that after I get into office. (laughs) And then I will pardon you. That is so awkward. Yeah, it was. (laughs) That is so, so Awkward. Uh, at least he's made up, um, you know, he, or he likes Rosie o- O'Donnell a little bit more. You know, last night I called Hillary a nasty woman, but this stuff is all relative. After listening to Hillary rattle on and on and on, I don't think so badly of Rosie O'Donnell anymore. In fact, I'm actually starting to like Rosie a lot. (laughs) 
I mean, the Cardinals got to be sitting there thinking, these people hate each other. Yeah. This would have been so much more interesting than the the, the debates. Yeah, this would have been a better approach. A comedy, been a lot comedy Central roast of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Well, imagine what Weird Al Yankovic could do with this. Just think of it that way. Uh, Clinton, though, she also had her shot to uh, to say what she wanted to say. This is Clinton inviting Trump to yell wrong. Now, I've got to say, there are a lot of friendly faces here in this room, people that I've been privileged to know and to work with. I just want to put you all in a basket of adorables. <laughs> and you look so good in your tuxes, or as I refer to them, formal pantsuits. And, you know, because this is a friendly dinner for such a great cause, Donald, if at any time you don't like what I'm saying, feel free to stand up and shout wrong while I'm talking. <laughs> Can we not, get back to the Donald clips? <laughs> yeah, it's not, not a good invitation. Wrong! Uh, by the way, Clinton took on Trump as well, and uh, actually Trump's campaign managers. Looking back, I've had to listen to Donald for three full debates. And he says, I don't have any stamina. <laughs> that is four and a half hours. I have now stood next to Donald Trump longer than any of his campaign managers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a hit. Okay. Trump, by the way, not a, they didn't love everything. They didn't love everything that Trump um, said last night. Clip 15. I told Hillary, went to confession before tonight's event. But the priest was having a hard time when he asked her about her sins. And she said she couldn't remember 39 times. <laughs> nah. Hillary is so mm. corrupt. Oh, geez. She got kicked off oh. the Watergate Commission. Corrupt you have to be to get kicked off the Watergate Commission. So he tried yeah. to explain his joke yeah. at the end there. Yeah, you know? ne- ne- never a good, never a good sign. Uh, many, many, many people were quoted afterwards saying that Trump didn't quite get the room. No, you no. have to know your audience to be funny, and he didn't yeah. quite grasp the yeah the gotta, level of whatever he could go for with these jokes. Right, you got to get off the stage while you're on top. He had a good thing going there. And yeah, then he had he a good line there. He had like three or four that really kind of worked, and then he just needed to walk away. Ah, timing, it's everything. It's everything. Anyway, boy, at least you know that they can get along. At least you know they're together. Hmm. Anyway, let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the science behind voters' trust. Some interesting information coming out of Yale University and why people may not trust Hillary Clinton, even though she's so thoughtful about a lot of these issues, a lot of these decisions. Is being thoughtful a key to being trustworthy, or does it create problems for you? Stick with us. We'll discover in a minute. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Well, there are only 17 days left on the campaign trail, and uh, as the election nears the finish line, both parties are working furiously to win over voters. 
Hillary uh, Clinton's campaign has struggled in the past to assure voters that she can be trusted. Well, for some odd reason, the mercurial Donald Trump doesn't seem to have to do that with so many of his followers. What is it uh, that that makes Hillary Clinton um, a little bit maybe, well, maybe not more difficult to trust than Donald Trump now, but she has been in the limelight for years. They know who she is. She has an incredible track record. And yet still people talk about how she's difficult to trust. Joining us is Jillian Jordan. She's a Ph.D. candidate in psychology at Yale University. She researches human social cognition and behavior and also is a co-author of the article, The Science Behind Hillary Clinton's Problems with Trust. Jillian Jordan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Teach us about this trust issue. I mean, Hillary, should she is doing really well in the polls right now. And I guess the problem has been historically people, even the, even the, the, the people from her own party don't seem to embrace her. They don't seem to trust her as they should. What is it behind her, her trust problem? So I think there's a lot that contributes to the way people perceive Clinton. But the thing that we were writing about in our article is um, the idea that somebody who seems like they calculate a lot before acting is somebody who seems like uh, they may be sort of liable to sell out their principles in cases where they can benefit from doing so. Mm. And so um, our argument is actually based on some research we've done, not in the to the context of politics or Hillary Clinton, but rather in looking at how people generally think about somebody who cooperates, they help somebody out, but only after sort of doing a careful cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. And our research shows that people think someone who has to do a cost-benefit analysis before deciding whether to help somebody out is somebody who seems less trustworthy because it's not clear that they're going to be willing to cooperate no matter what. It seems like their cooperation is sort of conditional on thinking through whether that makes sense. Mm. And it seems like in politicians, we really want people who are principled, who are devoted to certain principles, who follow those principles regardless of the circumstances. And so somebody who seems really thoughtful and calculating may sort of have the perception that they won't stand by those principles if the sort of political climate suggests that it would be prudent for them to abandon those principles and that this might make people feel um, less trusting of Hillary Clinton. Well, it, it, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting idea because it's like if you if someone asks you to if you could lend them some money, the person that says, oh, sure, and just pulls out their wallet and hands the money versus the one that thinks, huh, well, um, what are you going to do with it? And when are you going to get it back right. to me? And I guess that's what you're saying is we don't trust the right. one that's going to think this through right? versus the one that just throws the money out there. And I, in an interesting, I guess, side note, I mean, that Donald is the kind of the impulsive shoot by the hip right. guy and Hillary's constantly thinking things through. And then we, we consider that as, you know, um, I guess manipulative calculating is a, probably a better word. Calculating, right. And and I think there's a lot of nuance here. I mean, so one obvious important point is that if Donald acts in a way that's uninhibited, but the sort of principles that he's standing by are not principles that um, you like, then the fact that he's uncalculating is not attractive. Mm-hmm. If anything, yeah. it means that he's going to be blindly committed to something you don't like, which makes him sort of less appealing. So mm. I think that, you know, 
this isn't necessarily a reason that somebody who shares Clinton's values would prefer Trump, but it is uh, a reason that somebody who shares Clinton values would prefer a version of Clinton that seemed more uncalculating and mm. less like they're constantly doing a she's constantly doing a cost benefit analysis before deciding how to act. No, um, that makes sense. I think another potentially important important distinction is between calculations that are self-interested. So, for example, somebody who's thinking through whether to do the right thing, but they only want to do it if it's best for themselves, that person really can't be trusted. That's sort of the impression you get from the person who isn't sure about if they want to lend you money is they need to, um, you know, think through if they're going to get the money back and if it's the best decision for them to lend you the money. But another sense of the word calculating would just be that somebody engages in calculation to figure out what's best for others. So, you know, you could say that Clinton is somebody who's devoted to bringing about certain policy outcomes for her constituents, and she just uses a lot of calculation and thought and complex analysis to sort of figure out the best way to implement policies that help the population. Mm. And this would be sort of a, a different sense of the word calculating that might make some people think, the fact that Clinton is really thoughtful is actually something that's really great about her. Yeah. I think that's some that's some some of why she's been pretty effective in these debates recently is that she's potentially been able to communicate the strengths of her careful thinking approach uh, by seeming really prepared and like she really knows what it would take to bring out policies that will help others. But I do think there's sort of accusations on the right that she's the self-interested kind of calculator, yeah. that she's corrupt, that she's crooked. Yeah. Um, so I think that can be potentially a part of why she has trouble gaining voters' trust. How interesting. Because I so, – so in order to be seen as trustworthy, you – you want to appear in a way that you're putting everyone else first. You you don't have to overcalculate it, right. um, and you're pretty naturally responsive. Not right. not somebody that needs to pause, think it through, and right. and evaluate their own self interest right. first. That's um, but that's a pretty big learning, right? I mean, this is 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 this is this fairly new in the research area? Oh, I think that there's. A fair amount of research that's sort of consistent with this picture that we're painting, that people trust people more when they act in a way that's uncalculating. Um, the actual contribution of our paper that we were most excited about is sort of building on that research to suggest that part of the reason that people become uncalculating is for the purpose of being trusted by others. So, for example, we showed in our experiments that people are more likely to make a decision to help somebody else out without sort of carefully calculating the cost and benefits when they were being observed by somebody who could tell how long they had to calculate before deciding what to do. Mm. Um, and so this sort of showed that part of the reason people make decisions quickly is actually for the purpose of communicating to others that they can be trusted, which I think is a little bit counterintuitive because yeah. we typically think about uncalculating people as not motivated by strategic things like wanting to look good. But it suggests there could be some sort of underlying logic behind the uh, process by which people become uncalculating that does have to do with these strategic concerns of being trusted. And I guess it's um, – so if you, if you are seen as really socially uh, literate and socially intelligent, you might just simply be able to calculate more quickly and without – and more stealthily. Right. And so 
I think the optimal thing, if you if you think about what will get you the best sort of long run outcomes, would be somebody who's able to come off as very genuine and principled and uncalculating, but still is able to process information about when it makes sense to to help others for uh, sort of without being observed, without being detected, and therefore can get out of a situation where they might give too much and be exploited by others. But hmm. I think there is sort of an inherent trade-off, like it just takes time to process information and do calculations about what makes sense. And to some extent, I think that's going to be observable to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. We're speaking with Jillian Jordan, who is a PhD candidate in psychology at Yale University. And um, we are going to take a break, come back and continue to discuss her article, The Science Behind Hillary Clinton's Problems with Trust. I'd love to hear more about uh, the way they actually did the study. I think the the study itself brings out a lot of new light as well. Stick with us. We're talking trust and how to trust it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, some are having a hard time trusting Hillary Clinton and even Donald Trump as well, right? But what what are the keys? What are the calculations we make in our own minds about why we trust somebody? And uh, some of the research coming out of Yale University um, and our guest today, Jillian Jordan, she's a Ph.D. candidate in psychology at Yale University and author of a st- of, a, of a paper, an article on this very topic, she's teaching us today that it might simply be um, how we perceive the other person. Are they a calculating person? Do they need to think a lot before they make a decision about um, – and are they, are they calculating in a way to see how it affects them personally? So Jillian Jordan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Can you go over your uh, the the way you did the study, the the uh, the, the game pl- you played in the study, and and some of the nuances of how people make decisions depending on how it impacts them? Yeah, definitely. So what we did is we have people on the internet um, make decisions about how to divide money up between themselves and anonymous strangers, also on the internet. And in this particular study, we are interested in the relationship between somebody who helps in a way that's calculating versus uncalculating and how much they're trusted. So what we do is we have a two-stage game. In the first stage, people have the opportunity to sacrifice some money to help somebody else out who didn't get any money. So they're told, you have 20 cents, and you can sort of sacrifice some of that 20 cents to deliver a benefit to this other person who started off with nothing. And we use these really small amounts of money because that's sort of standard for this online labor market we use, which the, the studies don't take very long. Hmm. Um, and so the key to this idea is that we tell them that they can sort of give up some of their money to help out this person who didn't have anything, but we're not going to tell them specifically how much it's going to cost them to help out. It's going to be some fraction of the money they started with, but we're not going to tell them what that fraction is. And they can decide to just make the decision to help or not help, or they can request to find out the specific cost of helping and then make their decision. Mm. And so people who have to ask, what is the cost to me before they make their decision, we think of those people as uh, calculating people. 
Um, and then what we do is we have them go on to play a new interaction with a totally new person who was not part of the helping game I just described in the sort of second stage of the game. And the second stage of the game is all about measuring trust. So what we do is we have this new person start off with some money and decide how much of anything they want to invest in the person who, was, who had the opportunity to help um, in the previous stage. So this new person is uh, sort of deciding what percentage of the money they start with they want to send to the other person as an investment. And anything they send gets tripled by the experimenter. So it's sort of productive and good to send money. Like if you send your 30 cents, it's going to turn into 90 cents. And then the person who is the helper in the first stage gets to decide how much of this tripled amount, if anything, to return to the first per- to the mm. first mover. The, um, but they don't have to return anything. Yeah. So the person could be like, oh, I'm going to invest a lot in you. I'm going to send you all my money, all my 30 cents. Now you get 90 cents. And then the helper could just be like, great, I'm going to go home with 90 cents. You go home with nothing. Mm. In which case, the, this person will have lost money off of trusting the helper. But the helper could also say, I'm going to return half of that. So I'm going to keep 45 cents and you're going to keep 45 cents. And then they both end up with more than the person started with. So it's been this mutually beneficial exchange to trust them. And so the, this new person really wants to know, how much can I trust the helper? And in one of our conditions, they get to decide how much to help uh, to trust the helper only on the basis of whether the helper ultimately ended up deciding to help in the first day. Mm. But they don't get to know whether they wanted to check the cost of helping. Um, in the other condition, there are sort of reputational consequences to being a calculating person because the truster in the second stage actually gets to see both whether the helper helped but also whether they checked the cost of helping before choosing whether to help. So they can observe if they were calculating or uncalculating. Mm. Um, And so what we find is, first of all, people trust people who help more if they are uncalculating helpers than if they have to check the cost before helping. Um, So people sort of perceive being uncalculating as a positive sign that you're trustworthy. Second of all, this perception is accurate. So people who help without checking the cost actually return more money in the trust game in the second stage, even though they have no incentive to return anything. Oh, so interesting, yeah. It really is this reliable indication of if someone's trustworthy to find out if they had to calculate the cost of helping. Huh. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, we find that people actually are less likely to be calculating. So they're more likely to say, I don't care about the cost. You don't need to tell me the cost. If there are reputation consequences. So in the condition where... It will be observable to mm-hmm. the person in the trust game whether they check the cost. They're less likely to check the cost. Um, it's so it's that a, was logic. that's a powerful uh, model because you're measuring it at so many different levels. And yeah, did did you? I guess in the end, um, so so the same these same rules would apply in any setting. Can you predict? I mean, would it apply just as much at work as it does at home? Yeah, I think definitely um, there could be applications to work. So, for example, if you have a colleague who uh, seems very strategic about sort of when they're willing to teach you a new skill in the office, they do it only when other people are watching or when they don't think it will take very long. Like this is somebody maybe you wouldn't want to invest in a project or collaboration with. Um, I think in, in all sorts of contexts in our lives, Um, With friends, with romantic partners, with colleagues, with neighbors, we are constantly interested in asking the question, if I invest in this social relationship, 
uh, will the person I'm investing in invest back and be trustworthy? And I think in any context where that's something you have to worry about, this kind of stuff would come into play. Hmm. Is I mean, are, are there other things – because these calculations are being made uh, in our heads very quickly with really limited sure. data many times, right? Because yeah. we don't know exactly how much processing or calculating is going on. Um, are there things we can do to improve our own interpretation of another's calculated uh, uh, use of calculation? Um, I certainly don't think my research could speak to that. I think that actually people are pretty good at picking up on this stuff. Stuff by default. Like I don't think it's the kind of thing we have to. It's in our gut. Explicitly think about. Yeah, I think you can get a good sense of if someone's a genuine or calculating person in general. But unfortunately, my work wouldn't really speak to how to improve this stuff. Yeah, is um, and, and, but it seems like too the the person that's calculating they're they're calculating um, for their survival, right? So some of this too is so intuitive to be calculating, isn't it? Or to that's not true. be calculating. I think, I think that's true. I think it's intuitive to sort of, when someone asks you to help out, think about what it's going to cost you, if it's going to be worth it, like if it's going to mess up your own goals in ways that are meaningful. So I think, you know, that's intuitive. I also think, though, it can be very intuitive to be uncalculating. So, for example, um, an interesting example of this might be falling in love, which I think um, an important part of romantic love is sort of a sense that you would do anything for your partner. You're blindly devoted. Mm-hmm. And I think that this could be sort of a case where a very intuitive and natural process makes people uncalculating. And one reason for that may be that it makes you more trustworthy in, mm. in a romantic relationship. Yeah, if you have to hesitate. So do you want to marry me? Um, right. let, me oh, uh, let me think about that. That's. Let me consider who else I could marry and if you're better than them and how much yeah. better than them. I got to run some numbers. Let me get back to you on that one. Right. Um, it's such a it's such an interesting it's such an interesting study. So really, what what would you you know kind of suggest going forward? Where do you see the future of the research going? And and what more what more are you interested in learning about? I think a really interesting question is the extent to which um, the sort of decision to be uncalculating is itself uh, an automatic, spontaneous process versus a calculated decision. So, for example, and I, and I think this would vary in different real-world domains, right? But, for example, you can imagine a, a scenario where your friend asks you to help them move, and you're actually pretty curious how long it's going to take you because you've got a bunch of stuff to do that weekend and you don't want to spend your whole weekend helping out, but if it's just a couple hours, fine. Um, And you might explicitly think to yourself, like, if I ask this question about how much work it's going to be to help them move, I'm going to look like a jerk, so I'm not going to. Mm. So that would be sort of a case where you're ultimately making an uncalculating decision in the sense that you're agreeing to help them move without knowing how much time it's going to take you. But the decision to be uncalculating in that way and not to ask to find out how much time it is is a calculated decision. Yeah. So this would be sort of like calculating on calculating behavior. But then <laughs> I also think, you know, for example, in the case of romantic love, that uh, people, you know, they fall in love automatically without realizing that that's what they're doing. Um, I think even outside of romantic love, there are a lot of cases where people feel strong emotions or dedication to principles or loyalty that leads them to behave in this uncalculating way without having any sort of conscious or explicit calculation. So I think that's 
an interesting question. And I also think it's interesting to ask, like, how are strong emotions that sort of lead us to be devoted or principled um, sort of work to bind our behavior over time, which is an old idea that's been discussed in a lot of research and I think is really interesting. So, Hmm. you know, why is it that if someone feels really emotional about somebody else, that makes it so they can sort of be trusted to stand by them over time. Yeah. How does that work? That's cool. That's cool. Hey, uh, any advice you would give to Hillary Clinton? So if if she (laughs) called you... She, oh, she's really doing great. I guess about increasing her trust. She does have a lot of people that uh, are going to vote for her, but not necessarily enthusiastically, as many as she That's probably true. thought. And how how could she increase her trust by by managing well, calculation? Right, right, right. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to totally change your persona. Uh, so I think my advice to her would probably not be to try and turn into this super spontaneous person because it seems like that's just not who she is, but rather to think about trying to persuade people to the greatest extent possible that her calculations have her voters' best interests at heart. What she's doing is she's using sort of reasoning and analysis to think about the most effective way to help other people and that her calculations do not imply that she's going to bail on goals or principles that she's committed to mm. just because it's politically convenient for her. Yeah. So I be, think that would be... Be less political. Yeah, right. Good stuff. Jillian Jordan, thank you so much for your great work and uh, and your... I mean, that's such great learning and your lessons in the science behind Hillary Clinton's problems with trust. Again, Jillian Jordan, PhD candidate in psychology at Yale University. Um, man, she's wrapping it up. That's got to feel so good to be finishing your PhD at Yale. Good stuff, folks. We'll take a break, come back to a little Coach's Corner on other ways and methods to build trust. It is the glue that bonds us together. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. Boy, you too stupid to do what your coach tells you. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Trust, uh, it's such a, it's just such an intuitive, natural thing. Think of somebody in your life that you trust. I mean, that you trust, like, fully. You would trust maybe your kids with them. You trust your your account numbers, your passwords with them. What makes us trust somebody? According to our last guest, one key is calculation. If we think they're over calculating, uh, especially if they're calcu- if they're doing a lot of thinking in to see how it would most impact them personally, we don't seem to trust those people. If they're calculating to see. How we, how we could benefit all of us. Have you ever been to dinner and they put the check down and there seems to be always one person at the table that's really quick to want to grab the check and then divide, do the dividing and the math? So if that guy's over there calculating and you know he's calculating to make sure it's fair for everybody, then you trust that guy. But if you, all of a sudden, every time he calculates, his his part of the bill, his portion of the bill is 25% less than everyone else's. Yeah, we're not going to trust that guy very much. 
So we know we know the calculation side is a big deal. Another thing that we could talk about when it comes to building trust is the character side. We tend to trust people that show character, that do the hard things, that uh, that you know live up to what they say they're going to do. When they say they're going to do something, the, we trust people that have the character to do it. But we also need to demand more than just the character to get something done. We need to know that they have competency too, right? So we trust people that are competent. If all that calculation is going on, we wouldn't trust the person. But even if they didn't do any calculating and then they drove the, you know, their company into a wall, we wouldn't trust them either. So do you see how complicated this trust thing is, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? Trusting, I don't think, is the real forte of this election. I think a lot of people will trust Hillary Clinton uh, that she might be more informed. She's probably she's better. Well, she's more well versed, better read, better and more deeply understands the issues. She we probably would trust her more with the codes, uh, the nuclear codes, perhaps. But we don't trust her with email. We don't trust that she'll always necessarily do what's just best for the country or will she do what's best for the Clinton Foundation or for Hillary or we know she doesn't trust the media for a reason. And so in the end, trust doesn't mean we won't elect her or Donald. It just means when times get tough, you won't trust them, right? So in the middle of Hillary Clinton's you know, first four years as president – do you want to bet we're going to hear more about trust issues? So – and by the way, same thing with if Donald Trump made it in. We're going to question his character, his competency consistently. We're going to question both of their calculations. Trust also is courage. The, these people are still stepping up to do these jobs. But uh, don't and, – and be really careful about this. Trust is not something you just automatically – give somebody and they automatically earn. I think anybody, even Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, could earn the trust of people if they would be more consistent, if they would show more character, if they would be more competent, if they would be more considerate. That's what we trust. Okay. Go and do. Go and do, folks. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the best you can be, living longer, loving stronger. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday. So kick back. Relax. You made it through another week. And now you've got... No more debates. You've got no more charity functions to have to listen to Hillary and Donald talk to each other. 18 days. 18 days of joy. Mm. And Julian Assange, mm-hmm. that's how you say it? Yeah. You Assange. He came out on uh, Twitter saying he's got a special surprise for Hillary Clinton here in the next few days. 
Well, he said that weeks ago, didn't he? Yeah, but he's, he's really meaning it now. But apparently, uh, then he's probably needs to prepare to lose his internet service, probably his lights. Well, his they turned water. off his internet. Yeah, the Ecuadorian embassy said we don't want to participate in this. Granted, he could do whatever he wanted to find his own connection. Right, they're just not going to be part of it. Well, and it's not like he couldn't send you know a runner a letter to the guy across the street that has internet. Right, that runs, or he could just leave the embassy. Oh, wait a second. I'll hold it. He can't leave the end. Doesn't he have a male pigeon? <clears throat> yeah, he does. Like a carrier pigeon? Yeah. yeah. He has a male and a female pigeon. And they're and they're both carriers of Zika. Something like that. Hey, by the way, happy uh, Back to the Future Day. Hmm. This song, does this song not create some chemistry in your body get you pumped up yeah well when did you first hear this song when the movie came out yeah oh funny story about this i've only been to a karaoke bar once or twice in my whole life really and i saw this as i was flipping through the book of songs that i could choose from and i thought that i really knew this song well but it turns out that i had just known the chorus so I got up there and completely made a fool of myself because I didn't know the song. <laughs> Did you see? I'm not a big karaoke guy. I'd rather, honestly, honestly, go to the dentist and get a cavity. Really? Than stand up and do karaoke. In front of a group of sometimes inebriated strangers? <laughs> yeah. I'd rather I, if I let's say I went to J, uh, to Japan and had a went to a karaoke bar in Japan where I knew nobody and I couldn't and nobody knew me and I was the only one in the room that could speak English. I still wouldn't want to do karaoke. I think that would be a lot more fun than doing it in the states, going yeah. to some other country because I'm sure they'd love you. Yeah, it makes me mad. I went on a cruise. Um, and in our group, I take groups on cruises, right? And in our group, there was a guy that just stood up. You know him, I'm sure. Um, but he stood up and he just he won the entire cruise ship's karaoke. Somebody from your group? Yeah. But he killed it. And interestingly, he was like, he was imitating Tina Turner. Okay, but if somebody forced you to do a karaoke song, what would it be? <laughs> it would be Xanax. If you had to choose, this it, is like yeah, one of those, if you were easy. stranded on a desert island oh, yeah. type of thing. But if you were stranded in a karaoke bar yeah. and only had one song that you could sing, oh, it's what easy. would it be? It would be The Rose. A kiss from a rose? No, or The, the, ro- the, the Rose. rose. Bette Midler sings The Rose. Oh. Isn't that the song? Yeah, it would be that. Wow. In Spanish. Hmm. Terry, what would be your karaoke jam? <laughs> well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would pay I would pay a hundred dollars to hear Not worth it. Terry sing. Would, not if happening. I paid you a hundred dollars, would no, you sing no, karaoke? No. no. Wouldn't, that, even, wouldn't even do it. You know what? They are planning the Christmas party, and I really think I won't go. <laughs> Now Christmas uh, karaoke. My karaoke? Nope. Oh, I just don't even. It makes my heart race. I don't even want to think about karaoke. It's just I don't know what it is. And by the way, not to brag, I got a great voice. 
That's what all the ladies say at my mom's senior living center. But you're not sharing it. You got to give it away to keep it. I like to keep my voice under a bushel. I think that's a scripture in Matthew. Keepeth thou voice under a bushel. Karaoke too in there. Yeah. That's the first, uh, yeah, the first time karaoke was ever used as a word. I wish I had a lightning rod sound effect that we could use right now. Hmm. Don't. Don't use it. We got a lot to talk about today. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, you feeling stressed out about this election? Apparently, according to the American Psychological Association, the election is stressing people to a level that they haven't felt in a long time. Especially seniors are more stressed because now they're sitting there thinking, Look what's happened to this country. This Donald. And yeah, they're the ones that are supporting him. And Hillary Rodham. Clinton, they still use that name. Anyway, we will be talking with an expert about uh, how and what to do about stress if you're feeling stressed and how to manage your emotions through this election process. Plus, we will be getting to... uh, We'll be doing a review of the the next f- favorite song from Jeff Sim- – or not song but movie from Jeff Simpson, Halloween movie. It's a classic. Do you want to just give us a little heads up or just save it for the big big reveal? Um, I'll give you a clue. Okay. It has to do with a famous uh, monster. Jaws. No. And one of the big gags in the movie is that – Frankenstein. He, oh, yeah. Dr. Frankenstein. Well, Dr. You'll Frankenstein find out, the monster. You'll find out here in a second that you're actually mispronouncing the name. <laughs> so Mel Brooks' version of Frankenstein. Yes. Beautiful. Terry's eyes just lit up. Yeah, it's going to be great. Hey, uh, we'll get to that fun, plus a lot of headlines, including a man that's going to – he's designed his home to look like a stadium – like a football stadium from the University of Iowa, Kinnick Stadium. You can choose anything you want your house to look like. He wants his to look like a football stadium. Why not? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Neighbors won't have a problem at all. No, right. Right. Not a big deal. So we'll get to all that fun. But first, to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's up around the rest of the country? If you live anywhere between Atlanta and Los Angeles, you might not need to bother getting out your winter coat. Federal federal weather forecasters announced Thursday it's been looking like it will be a pretty mild winter in the southwest stretch of the country, thanks to the beginning of La Nina. Folks in the northern area of the Midwest and the northeast mid-Atlantic won't be quite so lucky with balmy temperatures. Forecasters said Midwesterners in the northern part of the region should anticipate a colder and wetter winter. Thanks to Donald Trump, Janet Jackson's 19... 86 hit Nasty is enjoying a resurgence. Spotify reported Thursday that since Trump called Hillary Clinton such a nasty woman at the third presidential debate Wednesday night, streams of Jackson's song have increased 250%. Jackson was nominated this week for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Donald Trump has urged his supporters to watch the polling booths on November 8th, a rallying cry that has election officials worrying and training for how to deal with guns or possible attacks at the polls. It is an unprecedented situation. In fact, most states don't even have laws governing guns at polling places, sending election officials scrambling to sort through their various uh, states' open carry and concealed weapons laws. In Colorado, poll workers are being trained on how to respond to a mass shooting at the voting site. In Philadelphia, election officials are considering considering training law enforcement officers on what to do if someone open fires. 
And finally, yes, ma'am. A Canadian man has created a harmonica inspired by the classic Nintendo cartridges. Brady Gum Gum Grumpelt has launched a Kickstarter campaign seeking funding for the 3D printed instruments noted, known as. I, let's see if I can pronounce this. Blotendo harmonica cartridges. <laughs> <laughs> the Blotendo harmonica dridge will surprise you and your friends with a fun and musical blast from the past. He said, "This classic game cartridge will allow you to store this harmonica with your classic games, fit nicely in your pocket. It is durable, customizable, and has a crisp sound playing in the key of C, as Jeff is now demonstrating." The group plans to offer a variety of parody labels as well as custom labels featuring featuring 8-bit sprites with customizable clothing, hairstyles, accessories, and backgrounds. Nerd alert! What? Yes. Why does anybody want their harmonica to look like a cartridge, a game cartridge? I guess it's technically like a collectible item piece, but... For, for who? It's how you used to get the game to work. We should ask Terry because right. Terry would understand. If the understand. cartridge didn't work, you'd pull it out, you'd blow on it, put it back in, it Demonst- worked. Just demonstrate for us. No, it's the radio. It's, it's like you're blowing into a harmonica but across your game cartridge. So that's why. It's Can dumb, but that that's microphone? why he's doing it. Yeah. Anybody that knows how to play a harmonica would not go near that thing. But people who use, you know, fix their game with that method, they would love it. Maybe it's this is an opening to to having more people learn the harmonica. He said he wants uh, three thousand dollars for this campaign. <laughs> um, I would maybe donate fifty cents. Yeah, and he wants a copy of the game Paperboy. What he wants that thrown into the deal too? What's the game Paperboy? You don't know Paperboy? Mm. Me neither. Contra. No. Nope. Left, right, left. Terry, what's the code? We kind of. Know. We we. I, <laughs> I've seen it, but I don't have it yeah. memorized. Yeah. I I have a life. <laughs> Me too. Sorry, Jeff. Not to be rude. But somehow you achieved it. I just. Hey. I just uh, have other stuff. Matt, to do. maybe yeah. you could uh, at the Christmas party karaoke thing. You could play this harmonica <gasps> instead of actually singing. That's a great idea. I do play one song on the harmonica. What would that be? It's Mar- the Mary fi- had a little lamb. No, 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 no. It's the final the rose? chord, two chords, that you'd always hear on the show The Waltons. Do you remember the, that? What's The Waltons? The, mo- the television show The Waltons. Oh, that's current and Sorry, topical. Good I, job. I have a life. Well, that's, that's, no, that's when I learned <laughs> this. I was, I was five years old, and that's when I picked up the harmonica. And No, it is BYU, so I think it would be a crowd favorite. Oh, they'd love it. And... It was um, – it's just two chords and then everyone at the very end says, good night, John Boy. Good night, Mary Ellen. Okay. Since we don't have a harmonica, would you mind singing those two chords for us, please? Well, then that would be what we call karaoke <laughs> and that's not going to happen. Dang it. Nice try. Not even close. Well done, Sadie. Well done. Okay, so let's say you have a chance to build a home. You can build any home you want. What would you style the home after? Well, one man has now angered his neighbors, and the neighbors have now filed a lawsuit against the Iowa City Board um, of Adjustment for because a guy now is building a 7,500-square-foot home that will resemble the University of Iowa's Kinnick Stadium. The lawsuit filed by the neighbors requests an injunction to block construction of the home and for the repeal of the city's building permit that allows the home to be built. 
the house Reed and Sandy Carlson planned to build would look like the Hawkeyes' 87-year-old football stadium, complete with brick siding and a replica of the press box. Why would the city okay this? I have no idea. They're very pro-Iowa. Well, I get it, but, I mean, in a, in a rare situation, if you're out by yourself on your own piece of land, yes. Yeah. You're in a neighborhood surrounded by other homes. <laughs> you can't do this. Well, and then what would happen if, like... The Ohio State Buckeyes wanted to a guy fan wanted to build hit that stadium. Right, this would cause chaos. Chaos. There'd be well, an I, argument. And then there's the whole resale value. Who's going to buy a football stadium? They want to live in a house. But I bet in Iowa, they there's going to be someone that would love that house. And the other thing is, people will drive by it constantly just to see it. Well, so increased traffic. The big problem too. The neighbors feel like it's going to mean that there will be more parties. There's going to be drainage issues, fire safety, plus people will be lining up for blocks just to go to the restroom, Mm -hmm. which is always happening at the football games. Right, at halftime (sighs) or the quarter break. See, this is the same uh, sort of argument when you get, uh, what's it, gentrification. When someone comes in and they take an old house and then build like a super house on top of it. Yeah, a mega mansion. And people don't like that because no. it doesn't fit the neighborhood. It, the house is too big. All of a sudden, you're looking into everyone else's right. backyards and houses and windows. And the uh, the the homeowners and the city are saying it meets all the it meets all of the city guidelines. It's not taller than it should be. It's not using more space on the lot than it should. It meets all the qualifications except it's just it's a football stadium. It's just mirroring an 89 year old stadium. Yeah, mm. goofy. Hey, a Texas man, by the way, lucky to be alive, which is, I mean, we talk about this all the time. This is terrifying. Fire officials in Texas say a man who apparently was sleeping in a dumpster Hmm. survived when he and the trash in the bin were dumped into a trash truck. Then they were compacted in the truck Hmm. and hauled to the station. And uh, the workers at the transfer station in Wichita Falls saw the man tumble out of the truck into a large garbage pit. Emergency responders had to lower a basket into the pit to retrieve the unidentified man who appeared to be conscious when he was uh, rescued and was taken to the hospital for evaluation. Yuck. We have sound from the Inside the truck. Yeah. He was very calm. Yeah. I mean, I'd be screaming by now. It's getting tight in here. Can you imagine being in a compactor? Uh, but he made it. He made it out alive. The man is in his 60s. And uh, boy, the way, if, the ha- if the workers hadn't seen him fall into the pit, then he would have been actually loaded into another compactor, which would have been worse, I guess. Wow. And then taken to the dump. Man alive. Literally. Man alive. Pretty cool. Pretty cool story. Um, okay. You thought you thought you had a stressful night's sleep. I couldn't sleep because BYU Cougars lost by one point last night. Oh, couldn't sleep. But if you're in a trash compactor, that's, that's a real reason not to sleep. Some of you apparently can't sleep because the election is getting to you. Up next, we'll be talking about uh, what to do if you are experiencing significant stress because of the uh, this electoral process and the entire boy political process that we've been suffering through for the last year, stick with us, folks. We're going to help you live longer and uh, stress free. Hopefully, stick with us.
On Wednesday, America heard the third and final presidential debate. Many have viewed this election as particularly mean-spirited, and both candidates have uh, high disapproval ratings. For many Americans, also Election Day will bring a sigh of relief. A study by the American Psychological Association shows that the election is causing significant stress for the majority of the nation. Here to discuss uh, this study is Dr. Vale Wright, the Director of Research and Special Projects at the American Psychological Association. Dr. Wright, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. What a boy. We talk about it every day on the show, and it's exhausting. It is an exhausting election. I mean, I think elections are exhausting anyway, and they run way too long. Um, But what are you seeing in your study uh, about how it's stressing out the electorate? Certainly what we're finding is that election stress is real. And if you're feeling it, you're not alone. As you mentioned, 52% of American adults are reporting very or somewhat significant uh, stress related to this election. And it's really cutting across party lines and gender. So both those registered as Democrats and those registers of Republicans are equally likely to say the election is really stressful, and the same with men and women. Huh. Does it um, – I, I guess so. it's, it's an equal opportunity stressor. And are there – I mean, is this different than other years? Are other years – has it just not been anywhere near this stressful? Well, we didn't um, – this is the first time we've asked about election stress in our um, Stress in America survey. So we don't have data to compare it to. Uh, to previous years, but to put it in a broader context, uh, the types, the top stressors in previous years have been money, work, and the economy. And stress related to this presidential election uh, is being reported in similar numbers to those reporting stress about the economy in the mm. past. So we know it's up there with the top stressors. Is it just because it's getting more media attention? Is it um, is it that these candidates are really more stressful? We think it's probably a combination of factors. So uh, one is that these have been very antagonistic campaigns with a lot of angry, negative rhetoric. Uh, The supporters are more polarized than ever, probably because the candidates are really polarized. And you mentioned the negative uh, ratings for each. Um, And I think there's a lot of worry and fear about the future if the candidate that you don't support wins. Um, And this is all happening within a broader context, right, where the Congress is at an all-time low in terms of approval ratings. And so all this leads to this lack of confidence in government and in our future, and that's very stressful. Hmm. Does it break down by age groups? Are millennials more stressed, less stressed? Are seniors more stressed? How does it work that way? Yes, we did look at it across generations, and what we found was that older adults, so those aged 71 and older, and millennials, so those aged about 19 to 37, were the two groups that were significantly more stressed by this election compared to others. Huh. I mean, it's so interesting because the normally we're worried about money, work, economy, maybe marriage, relationships, family. But um, I guess in a weird way, all of those very same issues do play out in the um, electoral process because we end up talking about family issues. We talk about student loans for our children. We talk about senior benefits. I mean, it really ends up we hit every part of the human sphere, and this decision matters enormously. Absolutely, and that's part of why we think uh, millennials are particularly stressed about this election. So in general, we find millennials are just the most stressed-out group uh, when looking at them compared to other generations. And part of that is because exactly what you said, that they're coming out with sort of uh, more school debt and loans than any generation before them. While the economy has improved and the employment rates improved, it's still challenging to find a high-paying job that really addresses these new debt 
and loan issues. And so I think you're right that the issues that are being brought up most in the campaigns are the ones that matter the most to millennials and others that are particularly stressed. Hmm. I think about um, that's got to be so disheartening. I mean, I grew up where you could where people still kind of believed in the institutions. Right. And they had a lot of confidence um, in their institutions. And I guess that's part of the dilemma with the millennials, too, is they can't even trust their institutions, let alone their leaders running their institutions. So is it do you think this will will they vote? Is is this stress going to turn them into becoming activists, more active in the process, or is it running them away? Yeah, I think it's still a little bit too early to tell about turnout. Um, but there is some research that turnout is enhanced when um, there's strong dislike for a candidate. Um, so it could be that, that, yeah, that this will encourage people to go out and vote. One of our recommendations to people that are feeling particularly stressed is to take a proactive approach to managing your stress, so that whether that's volunteering for an issue that you really care about, uh, something in your community, uh, joining some sort of local group or working on a local election, or at the end of the day, just voting, because, you know, in a democracy, a citizen's voice does matter, and by voting, hopefully, you'll feel like you're taking that proactive step, participating in what uh, many, of course, have been saying as, uh, as a very stressful election cycle. Yeah. Oh, I, I just voted, and I th- it feels so good. <laughs> It also feels so good to to not have to think about it anymore. Um, what about uh, – so we, we kind of know millennials are impacted by it. Um, I guess everybody is. 50 percent of the population are really stressed about it. What about minorities? Are there certain minority groups uh, that are feeling more of the pain? Well, what we did find was that um, election-related stress didn't confine itself to just one racial or ethnic group. Um, but rather it did seem to manifest across all groups. Uh, Hispanic adults – however, were significantly more likely than other groups to say that the election is causing barrier somewhat mm. uh, stress. I bet. When you start the election talking about a wall, um, right. that's pretty intense. Is it, I guess, did, I don't know if you did geographically, is the country divided geographically? Or are certain areas feeling more stress about it? We didn't look at it by geographics, but like I said, we did look across party lines and we find that, you know, both groups are stressed, it, it does seem that it's quite pervasive. And um, and in fact, it's not even just relegated to the United States. What's one of the most interesting things we found is the interest on a global level in this story. We've done interviews with many different countries and different news outlets because the whole world is really watching this election and everybody is feeling some level of stress about it. Yeah. Do you, um, the American Psychological Association is... Talk to us about why you're taking such an important role, and and I guess are you then disseminating this information to your members? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this data is just a subset, an early preview of our larger Stress in America survey, which we've done for the past 10 years. Uh, so each year we ask um, um, uh, the American adults, 18 and older, uh, to talk to us about their stress levels, how stressed they are and what sorts of things are causing them stress. Each year we have a theme Last year's theme was on discrimination. This year's theme will be on technology. And so what we do is, um, you know, after disseminating the data, we then help um, create coping skills, both that are general, right, and how to deal with stress, like good, good sleep, make sure you're eating healthy, getting exercise. But then we'll also create uh, tip sheets specifically related to the topic theme. So, for example, last year we had a lot of tips about how do you talk to your children about discrimination? Hmm. How do you talk to them about the things that you're seeing out in the world? And I think that that's a real great service that um, 
that we're doing to help take the lead in that. That's great. And uh, and then because I'm assuming if 50 plus percent of the population are feeling stressed, then they probably are also going to their counselors more. They're they're expressing it more in their schools, their universities. Um, I guess is that is that where you see uh, a lot of people looking for help? Do they go to counselors for stress about an, an election or do they just kind of internalize it and kind of, you know, quake in their boots at home? Yeah, I don't know that an election itself is a driver for people to go into therapy. We've heard anecdotally that those who may be already seeing counselors are bringing it up with their therapists. Um, and we do have some data that suggests that people are bringing it into the workplace and talking about it with their coworkers. Um, and certainly uh, we believe that social media is playing a huge role in how people are feeling stress related to this election. Oh, yeah. Man, bringing it into the workplace. And then that become stressful. And that's how you spread the disease, huh? Um, wow. Interesting. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Vale Wright, Director of Research and Special Projects at the American Psychological Association. And uh, they have been, um, they're doing a, a major research project on stress in America. And a subset of that is election and the significant stress it's causing uh, at least half the population. We'll take a break, come back, and find out what we can do about it, how we can manage our stress, what are some of the takeaways, the things we can do to get through the process in a healthy way. Helping you lead a healthier life. That's our goal here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Is this election getting you down? Is it causing significant stress in your life, in your family, at work? Do you have people that won't stop talking about it? And every day, a new iteration, a new Donald quote, quote, a new Donald uh, Trump, uh, you know, dig. Or, oh, did you hear about the latest in Hillary Clinton's emails? If you're sick and tired of it, then uh, get in line. Apparently, a lot of us are, and joining us to help us understand this stress that we're going through is Dr. Vale Wright. She is the Director of Research and Special Projects at the American Psychological Association, and uh, her research has appeared in peer-reviewed articles in Law and Human Behavior, Journal of Traumatic Stress, Professional Psychology. She's all over the place, and today we have the benefit of picking her brain. Dr. Vale Wright, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So we're we're more stressed than ever, and it's it's probably a lot of factors on top of the fact that this is all that we hear about. I mean, even the NFL is stressed out because their their numbers are dropping. They're attributing a lot of it to this election. Um, what do you think in the end? I guess if if I'm stressed, I hear it at work. I can't seem to get away with it or get away from it. What do I do? How do I de stress? Yeah, well, we think there's probably a lot of things you can do. Um, you know, with this 24-hour news cycle of claims and the counterclaims from the candidates, if that's part of what's causing you stress, then we encourage people to limit their media consumption. So, you know, just read or watch enough to stay informed. Um, you know, if you're going to watch it on the news, choose a 30- or 60-minute news program, not the 24-hour news channel. 
right? Because that's going to set some boundaries for you. You have to turn it off. It's going to turn to something else. If you're reading stuff online, pick a new source that you find to be reliable and unbiased. Read one or two articles. Don't continue on and read 8, 10, 20, because you're really not getting new information, and instead, you're just making yourself more stressed out. Mm. Do you remember the day we used to only have a 30-minute news show? Yeah. Like those, the days. those 6 I mean, o'clock news. And it covered everything, right? So you, we would right. be hearing more about Aleppo and Syria today because that's in chaos, more about the war in Iraq. That would take the first couple minutes, and then you'd hear t- five minutes of the election. I mean, it would move on. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, they want to stay informed. That is important to them. And so we encourage you, to, if that is important to you, to do that. Um, but just, you know, figure out what's the you know, minimum amount that you can take in to feel like you know what's going on, and then literally turn it off. Yeah. For others, though, it might just be turning it off in general. Yeah. Turn off your news feed, take a digital break. It's absolutely okay to just say, I've had enough. I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to do something that's healthier for me. Well, and what about uh, at the workplace when you get there and everyone else is talking about it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we encourage people to avoid getting into those discussions about the election, particularly if you think it has the potential to escalate to conflict. It's absolutely okay to, you know, either try to make a joke and change the subject. Um, Like, for example, wow, we can't seem to talk about anything else, can we? Or, you know, you just walk away. Um, You know, you have to prioritize your own mental health and figure out ways that you can um, remove yourself from situations that are causing you to feel stress. Mm. And um, like you brought up, social media is such a big deal. And in fact, your your organization, are you doing the study this year on technology's impact on stress? Right. So we we conducted our survey in August. The full survey is going to come out February 15th, and it's going to focus on technology. But we did find some really interesting data related to the election in that um, 38% of adults said that the political and the cultural conversations that they're seeing on their social media are causing them stress, and that adults who use social media in general are significantly more likely to feel election-related stress compared to adults who don't use any social media. Oh, and what is it? Is it just the consistency? Is it because it's constantly in their face? What is it about the use of social media that induces so much more stress? I think that's it. I think it's this constant, you just refresh and you refresh your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, um, or whatever it might be. I also think that because it's the slightly removed anonymous kind of forum that people may be more likely to post things that are aggressive or antagonistic. Um, and so you end up just feeling like you can't control it unless mm. you just totally remove yourself from it. And you, I mean, I guess the thing is if you're curious and if you've already picked a side and you really bought into your side, then you're more likely to keep tracking it on Twitter or whatever, and then get into kind of the minutia comments where people just start, you know, hacking on each other. Yeah, and I think that, you know, at the point there's there's um, diminished returns in what you're learning, right? So, you know, the more you read, you're not necessarily getting new information, but instead you're, uh, you're, you're ruminating on yeah. the same kind of worry thoughts over and over and over again. It's like this uh, tape that's playing in your head that just won't stop. Um, and I think that's really what causes a lot of people to feel this excessive amount of stress. Does it, I mean, I saw it uh, when I was in a recent um, election where I felt more bought in and more deeply connected to a candidate, I there's a it's one thing to feel stressed right now, but for everyone that's stressed, there's also probably going to be kind of a mourning period for half of them, 
And, uh, you know, another and I guess, a I don't know, a dissatisfaction for a certain percentage of others. How how do you prepare if you've overinvested in this election? Somebody's going to lose. So that will set up, it seems like, a whole new set of emotional issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this has been um, a different election than maybe what we've seen in the past. And I don't expect that everybody's election stress to completely go away the day after Election Day because um, of exactly what you're saying. Like with all elections, there's a winner and a loser. And if your candidate is not the one that wins, then you will have that warning period, that period of feeling disappointed, of feeling like, um, you know, the system didn't work the way that you wanted it to. Um, and so in that case, you know, in general, you're going to have to ramp up your coping skills in order to manage that. But we do think that over time, you know, as whatever catastrophic thoughts you might have going in your head about, you know, what the future is going to look like, those things generally don't happen. And so as the, co- the country, um, you know, moves towards stability again, that those stressful feelings will diminish. Mm. I mean, stress, uh, I guess can have some good effects, can't it? I mean, for some, this is exciting. This is their first chance to vote, their moment, their their opportunity in democracy. Um, is there anything positive that comes from this level of stress? Well, you're right. Stress is just your body's way of responding to adverse or just demanding circumstances. And sometimes those are uh, positive circumstances, right, like getting married or having a baby are very stressful, but generally thought of as positive events. Um, and sometimes it's negative events like, you know, problems at work or in your relationships. So stress serves an important function. It tells us to pay attention to what's going on, and it can encourage us to act in, in good ways. Like if I'm feeling stress about an upcoming test, hopefully that stress will encourage me to study so that yeah. I can do well. So stress in and of itself is normal, and there's not anything inherently wrong with it unless it becomes chronic and becomes unhealthy. And what I mean by that is is when you have this sort of really high level of stress all the time and you get no relief from it. That's when we start seeing the real problems. Mm, that's, and that won't just be relieved at a time of an election either. It's, I mean, some of this is just how we process stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we know that stress has both uh, physical but also mental uh, symptoms associated with it. So, um, you know, as you become stressed, your body releases chemicals like cortisol, norepinephrine, um, and you can feel higher blood pressure, increased blood rate, uh, heart rate, uh, stomach pains, headaches, but also that, you know, worry, that tension, that inability to concentrate. Um, And so, you know, again, these are just our ways of responding to what's going on in the world, but if we don't manage them, then they can become out of control and problematic. Mm. What, um, I, I guess, how do we know? I guess if we have a lot of these symptoms, we may not even attach it to to what's going on with the election, even though we're kind of obsessed with it. H- how do we, what are, I guess, those signs, for having those signs, those symptoms you just explained, that's the sign we need to do something, right? We've got to either go get help, we've got to start, like, taking some of your advice, doing less with this. Um, is is are there any other signs that we need to pay attention to that, that we are telling us that our stress is becoming too much? Yeah, you really want to pay attention to your body and how you're reacting to things. So, are, you know, are you having trouble sleeping when that's not usually something that's a problem for you? Are you getting into arguments? Are you um, not attending to the things that you need to get done, whether that's around the house or at work? So, is it interfering in your life, in your relationships? 
in some significant way. That's really when hopefully the red flags are going off for you that maybe I'm not managing my stress as well as I could be. Mm, Great, great advice. Well, Dr. Vale Wright, we appreciate you and your wonderful work there at the APA. Um, Again, looking forward to the the tech uh, review that you do on technology and stress that will be out in February. We'll have to have you on back uh, at that date just so we can keep up on how tech's impacting us. Again, everybody, it's stressful, but there's things you can do. And the minute you start acting on what you can do about your stress, uh, amazingly, it starts to change. Interesting stuff. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, continue the discussion, uh, get into a little bit more news, maybe some lighter news to de-stress you a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Welcome back, friends. No need to stress anymore. The doctor's in. We uh, we really are going to de-stress you right here. It's just all all we will do today is share with you a little bit of news, and some of that news is it's going to make you it's going to make you feel better. Uh, in fact, one story that we know will make you feel better is. Um, well, a clown attack. Police say an 18-year-old Ohio woman lied about being attacked by a knife-wielding clown as an excuse for being late to work. See, clowns still taking the brunt of, uh, of, the, of the stress of people this season. You never used that one as a kid, though? A clown attacked me on the way to school. That's why I was late. That's why I didn't turn well, in my yeah. homework. I mean, but who... A clown ate my homework. <laughs> I really wanted to be here on time, but a clown stopped me and I couldn't get away. Um, police in Cincinnati suburb of uh, uh, Redding say investigators found inconsistencies in an 18-year-old Alexandra Conley story, charged her with making a false alarm and a misdemeanor. Conley said someone dressed like a clown jumped a fence Saturday, waved a knife at her and cut her thumb. Shake my bones and I shake them well. When I'm lying, you know you can tell. Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging from a telephone wire. Squirming, squirming, pants are burning. When I lie, my hips start turning. Liar, liar. Well, I wiggle up and I wiggle down. Little clown music for you. Twitch, cause I'm a fibbing clown. So she was. There are no words. No, that's why we wanted to play this song because these. And this is a this is a dancing clown. So her pants were apparently on fire, and she was hanging from a telephone wire, and her hips were twitching. We we will post this on the Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show. This is something you're not going to want to miss. If you are stressed by the election, um, this is uh, this is going to help you. Because we always hear that people are liars in the political world, and we hear a lot about clowns. In fact, this, I think, is a clown with reddish hair. But not a lot of – he doesn't have white makeup. He does have a, a red nose. It's It's – it's called The Big Comfy Couch. Liar, Liar is the song. Big Comfy Couch, I think, is the show. 
that it's on, I think. Is that right? By the way, yesterday you and I had a discussion about this, how much somebody would have to pay you to dress up like that, <laughs> sing this song, and do those dance moves yeah. with as much fervor, by oh, the way, as this clown guy. does. No, but that guy's got some serious – he's a healthy man. His hips are intact. They're strong. They're – because he's – I am the healthiest human ever known to man. He's shaking it. Um. You know, don't lie is, I guess, the big lesson here. If don't lie about clowns or they will make up a song about you and then they will dance till it's over. Hey, a study. If you um, if you need a little research to help you get through your stressful day, yawning doesn't mean you're bored, according to a new study. It just means you've got one big, hot brain in your head. I am the smart. S-M-R-T. I mean S-M-A-R-T. According to a study published Tuesday in Biology Letters, The Atlantic reports researcher Andrew Gallup and his students go online to collect videos of animals yawning. Not a hard task considering that yawning animals are the dang cutest things, they say. He then found that he was able to predict a yawn length of various animals based on the weight of their brain and the number of brain cells in their cortex, according to the Washington Post. We were just really blown away um, by this whole thing, Gallup tells The Atlantic. It's such a strong predictor. Perhaps surprisingly, um, body and mouth size had nothing to do with the yawn length. The explanation for brain size correlation to yawn length comes from a theory first proposed by Gallup in 2007. He argues that animals yawn involuntarily to cool their brains. If that is true, it stands to reason that larger brains would require a larger yawn to cool. Hmm. Do you think yawns are contagious, by the way? Um, Yes, I do. So by extension, does that mean that uh, intelligence is contagious. No. This is deep. This is really deep. No, intelligence is not contagious. Well, if I yawn, yeah. And you just said that you you believe that yawns are contagious. Yes. And I'm passing that yawn on to you. Yeah. And there's a correlation between yawning and intelligence. No, is, no, no, no. Let's is, be careful. Let's be clear here. There's not a correlation between yawning and intelligence. There's a correlation between yawning and brain okay. size. So if I'm yawning and then passing that yawn on to you, am I passing some of my brain size on to you? No. Your brain stays your size. My brain would stay my size. I, I think you're contradicting yourself. <laughs> no. I think this is because it's about brain size. Uh, so – Yawning is just saying if if this guy's theory is right, you yawn to to cool your brain, and so you need some cooler air into your head. But when you yawn and I notice you yawn, my body may start involuntarily making the need to yawn, not because of my brain. Right then, it's because I just noticed you doing something that I probably ought to do. It's kind of like have you ever watched somebody breathe? 
And uh, it actually makes you more conscious of your own breathing. Like as they're sleeping or? Well, like as an EMT, when I was an EMT, I had to count people's respirations. Ah. And I noticed when I would count their respirations, I would actually notice my respirations. Hmm. Hmm. I think there's something in the study, too, that says if you yawn while listening to Yanni, then your brain is even bigger. Oh, yeah. 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 Yawning while yawning is uh, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Anyway, just to give you a little more excitement, not something you will yawn through, by the way. We've been doing 12 days of Halloween movies. Jeff Simpson's picked his favorite movies. Here's uh, his movie of the day. This is Jeff Simpson here with my next pick for the 12 days of Halloween movies. (laughs) My next pick is definitely on my list of top 10 favorite comedies. It's a loving tribute to the Frankenstein films of director James Whale entitled Young Frankenstein. It's pronounced Frankenstein. Oh, sorry. In the film Young Frankenstein, the great-grandson of the late mad scientist Dr. Frankenstein travels to Transylvania upon hearing the news that he's inherited his family's estate. While there, he becomes intrigued with his great-grandfather's work after he stumbles upon his journal and with the help of his servant Igor. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. Man, I guess I need to work on my pronunciation. With the help of Igor, he sets out to reanimate a corpse. Uh, you know what? Nobody wants to hear me blab about this movie. Also, it's Friday. Friday. So bring on the funny clips. Here are three good ones. Number three, the introduction of Frau Blucher. I am Frau Blucher. <laughs> This is my assistant. Inga, may I present Frau Blucher? Blucher! Number two. Dr. Frankenstein tries to tame the monster. No matter what you hear in there, no matter how cruelly I beg you, do not open this door or you will undo everything I've worked for. Do you understand? Do not open this door. Let me out. Let me out of here. What's the matter with you people? I was joking! Don't you know a joke when you hear one? (laughs) And number one, Dr. Frankenstein and the monster perform for a sold-out audience. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. This Halloween, if you want to die laughing, be sure to check out Young Frankenstein. And stay tuned for my next pick for the 12 days of Halloween movies. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or umbrellas in their midst. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Mm-mm, mm-mm, it's Friday. It's also Back to the Future Day with... Uh, we now know we're going to have a new DeLorean Back to the Future car that'll be out, what, 2020? 
They have the new uh, it's, it's, shoes, it, the self lacing yes. shoes that were on Back to the Future 2. They have hoverboards, well, but they don't sort hover. Of, they, they blow up. They just blow up and uh, burn your children. Allegedly, they fixed the problem, though. Oh, did they? Good. So next, this Christmas, we'll, we will be no, able to... No, because nobody cares anymore. Yeah, good yeah. point. It's moved on. It's also Count Your Buttons Day. Uh, Terry's been counting his buttons all day today. Terry, what are you? What number are you up to today? Three. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Took you a long time, didn't you? Didn't it? Uh, Stephen Wright, uh, the great comedian with the wry sense of humor, he's he's got a little bit on this. I lost a buttonhole. <laughs> Where am I going to get a buttonhole? It's easy to lose a button. It's the buttonhole that you don't lose very often. Hmm. <laughs> what a great line. By the way, just on that topic, uh, during one of the games recently I, that I was watching, in order to feel less guilt with my spouse, okay, I went and collected every sock that was a single sock without a pair, hmm. and I paired our socks. So it looked like you were doing something uh-huh. instead of just watching yeah, the I game? Did. D- does she know that you may want to watch the game? No, I was, yeah, but I was watching the game. Okay. But I wanted to, because I had heard her complain about that, and I thought, I'm going to solve this problem. And I took what I think was about 1,000 single socks, hmm. and after a three-hour game, I had turned it into about 100 pairs. Hmm. So I still had 800 single socks left over. I can relate to the joy that you must have felt when that happened because every once in a while I'll come across a sock that has a hole Uh and I get to throw it away and it's an exciting day. But then here's what I found though. Just like when you play the match game. So every time I see like a single sock somewhere, like the other day I walked in my kid's room and there was one sock hanging on a trophy. (laughs) Don't know how it got there. I think it climbed up there. And I'm like, I know exactly the match to that sock, and I have it, and it's in my special place. And now I feel such joy because I'm finding these little orphan socks so, and reuniting them with their pair. That's what I do. You ruined the football game is what you're saying. No. No, you work through your television. Well, but it's stuff I want to do, not laundry. Well, I know, but that actually was quite fulfilling. The other great thing about that is... And I'm creating pairs, which is what I am. I'm a relationship expert. In that same amount of time, your wife could have accomplished so much more than putting a few socks together. That's just... Women are so much better at utilizing that time. And she really appreciated it. So she gave me a hug. But you ruined the football game. I think you're missing the point. I'm kind of hung up on a problem here. You, you need you missing you ruin the, the football game. Yeah, my wife's it. like, "Can you do this while you watch the game?" I'm like, "No, I'm watching the game." I know, but you always are doing something else while you watch. Something I want to do. Man, somebody. Let's just say the word. I'm going to say it. Go ahead. Someone selfish. Of course. In this room. Yeah. Poor Kelly. She's fine. Okay. She's preoccupied. She's busy with Morgan. <laughs> Uh, great show for you today. Today, we, of course, because it's Friday, we, we are going to do a review of the movies with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Two movies uh, coming up. That one of them is Jack Reacher. Hmm. Every time I go on a trip, I watch a Jack Reacher f- movie. There's only one, right? Yeah, there's one. So last time when I went on a cruise, <laughs> I watched Jack Reacher to pack. Yep. 
And now I can watch another one to pack for my next trip. <laughs> but you're not going to say the name of the other movie. I'm not going right? to say okay. the name of the other movie because it's evil. We don't have to say that. You can call it Ouija oh, 2. Oh, I, Wait a minute. I wasn't going to say it. You did say evil, and that is in the subtitle. I know. So I, that, yeah. I will say evil, but then I'm going to make him say it. Why? Because I'm not saying it on my show. Why not? Because it's evil. No, it's in not. fact, it's the origin of evil. It's a board game. <gasps> okay. We'll get to that. It's only fun. evil if you think it's evil. Plus, we'll do a news flush. We'll visit the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation, find out what they think about last night's game, and we'll do a hero story. But first and foremost, to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's up? Swiss surgeons successfully used an experimental technique, which includes harvesting cells from the nasal septum, to repair damaged knee joints in patients. Two years later, these patients report improvements in pain and knee function, according to a study published Thursday in the journal The Lancet. The treatment is safe and feasible, said study co-author Dr. Ivan Martin. Martin and his co-authors emphasize that their experimental procedure still requires rigorous testing and large clinical trials with longer follow-up periods, and experts in the field agree. U.S. officials have warned that Russia may try to undermine the upcoming U.S. presidential election by spreading faked evidence of voter fraud. Speaking on condition of a nominee, several intelligence officials said hackers may post photographs online trying to prove the election was rigged with the help of voter fraud. They said they did not have any specific evidence to prove this would happen, but they have been warned about such attempts. With an 8-4 to victory in Thursday evening's, evening's Game 5 in Los Angeles, the Chicago Cubs took a 3-2 National League Championship Series lead, putting themselves one win away from advancing to their first World Series since 1945. The teams moved back to Chicago for Game 6 Saturday night, and they have not won a World Series since 1908. And finally... Yes? Ah, this poor, 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 poor man. What? Um, a team of San Francisco area doctors detailed the case of a 47-year-old man whose attempt at eating ghost peppers caused a rupture in his esophagus. Oh, man. The man was participating in an eating contest at San Francisco restaurant when he wolfed down a hamburger to- or topped with ghost peppers, which have twice the heat of habanero peppers. Doctors discovered the man had suffered a one-inch rupture in his esophagus, which allowed food debris and air to end up inside his chest and collapse one of his lungs. Um, But the doctors have said this is not a common thing to happen. In fact, they've never really seen a case like this. Um, So I'm guessing it was a lot of ghost peppers on top of this hamburger because it's never happened before. Well, okay. (sighs) We're not supposed to eat ghost peppers. No. Right? I mean, there's a rule. If you if you ingest something and it makes all of your um, what's the word if it makes your intestines if it makes any mucous membrane start to make mucus uh-huh. at high volumes, that's your body's way of saying no, no, no. The most important part of the story. No, he finished the hamburger. Did he really? He did. He won. Well, no, Just he didn't finish it. It almost finished him. No, he it ended up it. in his chest cavity. He ate the entire burger, yeah. won, won the contest, almost died. No! Exactly. Totally worth it. Not uh, worth it. Debatable. If there is a rule you remember from the Matt Townsend show, because mm. I will be gone for a week. Okay. If your mucous membranes start to multiply, the mucus coming out of your body... 
That's your body's way of saying, halt, don't consume any more of said product. Another great tip from Matt Townsend. Thank you. Your mucous membranes communicate too. I watched two girls on Reddit. I, this is where I learned this. And they, they ate ghost peppers. And then they had a flat-out conniption. And conniption? They started, they started two lovely mm-hmm. teenage girls, all quaffed and beautiful. Their hair was up and flowing, and their makeup was perfect. And two minutes later, and about two gallons of mucus later, they were a hot mess. Hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun. Actually, <laughs> thank you. Pun totally intended. So that was puntended. Punted, yeah. <laughs> Which is a really hard thing to do, punt-tend. Anyway, thank you, Sadie. In fact, I, I really want to go find that. I will find my picture of mucus magnification and ghost peppers, and then I will send it to you, Sadie, and you put it on Twitter. <sighs> <sighs> I can't do everything for everyone on this show. I can only – you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him eat the ghost pepper. You ever heard that quote? Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I haven't actually. (laughs) But I had you going there for a second. It's a new one. I just made it up. I can't – I can only tell you don't eat ghost peppers so many times. Is that why you're leaving us for a week? You're yes. just too frustrated with I am so tired people of not people listening to you? Perforating their esophagus and then having the food go into their lung and creating a th- uh, thing. I don't know. It's the last show for me. I kind of checked out like two hours ago. I'm going to shoot straight with you. That's good to know. (laughs) Uh, Any other headlines we need to pay attention to as we wrap up Friday? Let's see here. Buyers beware. Yes. This will be our our consumer warning of the week. Yeah, we've already given a health warning. Yep. Ghost peppers. Mucus, yeah. Um, Buyers beware. Nearly 90% of Apple chargers, so iPhones. Yeah. Probably MacBooks, probably iPads. 90% of Apple chargers and cables sold on Amazon could be counterfeit, the AP reports. What? That's according to a lawsuit Apple filed Monday against Mobile Star Inc., or LLC. Apple claims the chargers manufactured by Mobile Star and wrongly bearing the Apple logo pose a significant risk to overheating, fire, and electrical shock. Hmm. Uh, the lawsuit claims the cables and chargers are being sold at a, as genuine Apple products using Apple's own product marking images or marketing images, and they're being sold by both third-party sellers and Amazon itself. Apple says customers would have no reason to believe that fa- uh, faulty products are anything but real because they have the Apple logo right on them. Yeah, that's 90%. 90%. So really, if you want to make sure you're getting an Apple charger, you can only go to Apple. Yeah. Well, see, I've had a success with – it's called um, Amazon Basics. Mm -hmm. 
you can go in and they for like six, seven bucks, you can get a, like a charging cable. Works yeah, but great. It's but it's not Apple's, and it'll it's, apparently catch on Amazon fire. Amazon got the certification from Apple to make these real. This company, oh, Mobilestar, did not did get not. the certification. From okay, Apple. that's cool. And they're that's tested in a way so that Apple yeah. can say we we you know we back these up as being. We just had a charger. Uh, we could smell smoke in our house, and it was from an, an iPhone charger. Be careful. Don't the thing I usually go by is don't just leave it plugged in. If you're home, fine. If you're not home, if you're asleep, unplug your devices. What about putting a like a knife in it? That w- yeah, don't do that either. Yeah. Did you see that meme about the Trump and Hillary campaign? It's you've seen the picture, it's a little kid putting a knife in a light socket. Mm. And it's like top light socket for Trump, bottom light socket for Hillary. <laughs> Because either way. Yeah, either way, you're going to get shocked. Um, You got another story for us? Snoopy. Snoopy was fired by MetLife after 31 years of service. Come on, Are you kidding? They announced that Snoopy will no longer be on the marketing materials for the company, including blimps and their TV commercials. The Peanuts character has been repping the company for over three decades, but MetLife reps told the Wall Street Journal that the company is looking to go in a new direction. Oh, that is... Ageism. As it says, there's no word on any severance package for the Beagle. They're discriminating. Yeah. The company paid 15, 10 to $15 million a year to license his image. And so now what are they going to put? I don't know. But he's on everything. He's on the <sighs> blimps. He's on their – I see MetLife uh, cars. If you see someone that represents yeah. the company, they're Snoopy. I feel bad for him. At his age, how's he going to get another job? Yeah. It's really hard to – I just, hope they gave him a watch. No, they said probably nothing. Probably just said see ya. Oh, brother. He's getting 10 to $15 million a year. These Wall Street. Oh, no, this is insurance. These insurance things. Hmm. Anyway. Okay. Sorry, Snoops. We will take a break. When we come back, we are going to get into uh, a little uh, movie review with parentpreviews.com. We'll be reviewing two movies. One of them, Jack Reacher. And what what was the other one called again? And the other one is not Jack Reacher. You know, it's got another name that I'm not going to say. It's not like you're saying Macbeth in a theater or Beetlejuice three times. No, you. I mean, this is just. It's just. A, it's. It's a. <laughs> it's a dark title, and I'm not going to use it. I will not use my voice to bring such darkness to the world. I applaud you. I, I let Terry do it a minute ago. I didn't want him to, but he did it. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll come back. It's, by the way, it's a very popular movie. I mean, as far as Rotten Tomatoes, is, they say it's very, it's got a good review. I don't know. We'll take a break. We'll be back with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. When you hear the tune, let's all go to the lobby. Uh, you got to go to the snack bar, right, and get some popcorn and, uh, you know, just some licorice. Mm. That means it's time for a little Parent Previews review with Rod Gustafson. Today, Donna is with him. Donna is his wife. And today they'll be reviewing two movies that are newly released. Hello. How are you guys? Hello, Good to have Matt. you with us today. Good to be here. You know what, Matt? I, I was just reading about 
some other movie critic. He was writing a blog, and he was talking about all the all the all you can eat popcorn. Huh. It's part of the perk of his job, and I'm thinking, I don't know where that guy works, but I never get free popcorn. Don't so. you get? Oh, but see, yeah. you probably have to buy the first bucket, and then what you got to do is yeah. consume two or three buckets, and then take a bucket home to the family. That's, oh my goodness! Yeah. Can you imagine what we'd look like? And then oh, that's true, Donna. The bucket, try and fit the bucket under my jacket when I come back three nights later. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Just sneak it oh, back in. Good. That's illegal. <laughs> hey, um, yeah. so guys, two movies to review. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with Jack Reacher. Yes. Go for it, Donna. I think this it, is going to be the big one. Yeah, good. I think this will be the big money winner. So this is a sequel. Um, we met the Jack Reacher character a couple of years ago being played by Tom Cruise. He's the same kind of, he's a Jason Bourne kind of guy. Mm. A Rod Gustafson kind of. Kind of, totally. Just just like the guy I married. Anyhow, we don't really know what it is he, um, or what his motivations are. He just says that he's a former major in the U.S. military, and he says one morning he woke up and the uniform didn't fit. So now he is kind of a vigilante. (laughs) He drifts from place to place, no fixed address and then just beats up people when they seem to have problems. So he's got a real strong sense of justice being done. In this movie, um, he's been in contact with another major in the Army. It's a woman, of course, played by Kobe Smolders, and she does. She's a very, very beautiful woman. Anyhow, he finds out that she's in trouble, so he comes to her rescue. And she has been falsely accused of espionage, so he tries to clear her name, but in the process turns both of them into fugitives. So they're on the run, and of course they are being chased by the biggest, baddest bully um, guy you've ever met. He's a hitman, and he takes that literally. He likes to torturously beat his victims to death. Yeah, and that is really where this movie is going to be the biggest concern for parents. It is violent. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, All of the violence is happening sort of above the law because he is an ex-military guy so he's not really playing by the rules he's a law unto himself um, we see several people beaten of course occasionally they shoot each other and we have lots of blood splattering in some of those scenes but the most disturbing part for me is those physical altercations which also have these bone crushing sound effects and mm. yeah it can be quite disturbing Ugh. I think you I know. just I'm not hungry anymore well, I was going to say, speaking of the snack bar, one morning I woke up and my movie reviewer uniform didn't fit. So that's, that's a whole different story. Do you have a you have a uniform, Rod? That's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. So, Donna, it sounds like um, it's kind of it's intense, lots of beating, abusing, crazy intensity. But um, it, do you think do you think the Reacher fans are going to like it? Probably. I don't know that it's all that much different than what they saw last time. Um, In this particular story, we also have the inclusion of a teenage girl. There's some question that Reacher might be her father. Um, Because he's kind of trying to figure that out in a sort of a side story, the people who are watching him and trying to kill him um, realize that the girl is somehow connected to him. So that puts her in harm's way, too. And so throughout the movie, he and this female officer that he is traveling with also try to protect this young girl. Um, and that gives us an opportunity to kind of see his more gentle side. 
Um, and is she an angsty teen? She is an angsty yeah, teen, of angst. course. Yeah, I can see this. Yeah. Those are the best kind. And a shoplifter, and she's got a yeah. few other bad yeah. habits up her sleeve. Yeah, but, Jack, um, Jack is going to set her straight, man. There you but go. Anyhow, so, so that's the opportunity to sort of soften the blow. Um, but it's still, you know, I, I'm amazed how many times solving the world's problems can only be done with a fist or a gun. And yeah. that's really this kind of a story. Does What uh, grades did you give that, Donna? I gave it a C. Um, I was a little kind because I thought that it, uh, his kinder side deserved a few points, but I gave the violence a D. There you go. There you go. Okay, well, uh, that's something to go do. So you can either go see the violence uh, of the Jack Reacher Never Go Back uh, PG-13 movie, or what's the other offering? Well, Halloween's around the corner. By the way, I should mention there's a new Tyler Perry movie out called Boo, a Medea Halloween. Tyler Perry movies rarely open in Canada, and which is unfortunate. We often... I don't know if it's that unfortunate. Well, we get email. People want to know what's in them. Tyler's very, Tyler's very popular. So we've got that one opening this weekend. But the, the big spooker that's opening is Ouija, Origin of Evil. And this is the second movie in the Ouija board series. You know, Hasbro Yay. probably wasn't selling enough of these things, so they said, hey, let's make another movie. And the first one did quite well. These are cheap to make movies and uh, they make a lot of money well reasonable amount of money compared to how much they cost to make and uh, in this film fortunately okay so here's the good news I'll do the good news first this film artistically is better than the first one it's a pretty scary movie and if you're setting out to make a horror movie that's what you want so there was some I, I felt my hair stand up a couple of times and I'm pretty crusted over when it comes to horror movies and um, fortunately what I really disliked about the first movie was there's a bit of a theme of teenage suicide in it which I, I did not appreciate this one gets rid of that but obviously if you have religious sensitivities this probably will be a movie that you won't want to see it's the story about a, a woman and her two daughters in the 1960s in los angeles and she runs a business uh, telling people what their fortunes are and doing seances and whatnot and of course the whole thing is fake and she really doesn't believe that there's any such thing as spirits or anything else she just does this to make money and one day to up her game she goes and buys a ouija board and brings it home and her young daughter gets up late one night and reconnects with her reconnects with her dead father and uh, all of a sudden then things really start to things really start to happen and of course the mother who was very skeptical about this now she believes and so does her older daughter um from a religious perspective, Matt, because I think a lot of people who are looking at this type of movie may be wondering about this. There is a there's a Catholic priest who plays a fairly positive and prominent role in this movie, hmm. and um, you could actually flip this thing over and say it's actually a fairly religious film, but it's religion in the Hollywood style. You know, hmm. there's uh, sat- satanic depictions and those types of things, and uh, so you know, looking at all of that, I still. For me, Matt, I think encouraging our kids to delve into into these things is is a dangerous place to go. Yeah. And uh, so, gotta admit, I went into this one with some of my own heavy biases, but uh, C grade overall in this, with a strong caution to parents, fair amount of violence in it in the third act, as always, because that's when the monster needs to be beaten down. But otherwise, light on sexual content and profanity. Man alive! And it's getting uh, Rotten Tomatoes reviews. A lot of people are liking that one. 
a lot of people are surprised by this, and I know why, because if I was just a film critic and not a family film critic, um, I was fairly impressed with how this one's put together. And I think for most film critics, they went into this one with very low expectations based on the first one. The first one really was not that good. And, uh, and this one, it's all, you know, squeaky doors and, and creaky floors and all that stuff and jump scenes. Um, but the pacing of it works out quite well. Mm. The other, I should mention there's one other thing just to let people know that I did not appreciate in this movie. It works a Holocaust theme into here. Mm. And, you know, I have a problem with that. I think the Holocaust is a, is a, uh, almost, if I can use the word, a sacred topic. And working it into fictional little entertainment, you know, spooker yeah. films. Yeah, yeah. Not, no thanks. I, right. I don't think they should go there. No, I think that's a great point. That's why we like uh, you guys so much, Donna and Rod, because you're looking out for all of these different angles. Appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you both. And uh, so we've got two choices there if you're considering those necessarily choices. Maybe not family choices per se, but uh, Rod and uh, Donna Gustafson, great resources for all of us. Go to parentpreviews.com where you can find out more about their reviews. You can also talk and see their talking points that you can use to talk with your family after these movies. Really a wonderful uh, in-depth tool, I think, for all of us as parents. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, continue uh, some news flushing, give you more information, just get rid of some of the stories that you might want to know about, but, uh, you know, you've, you've been too busy to worry about. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Because it's Friday, we like to uh, do a little news flush where we can, you know, share with you some news stories that we've been holding on to. Maybe, you know, clean out the cupboards, eat the leftovers so that Monday we can have a brand new fresh start. So to do that, uh, Terry and I go back and forth bringing up our favorite news stories that we haven't gotten to. Terry, what's your first news flush? Half of men admit to shaving their legs. Really? What do you think? Is that an accurate statement? That's not accurate. It says, it's a lot higher than that. So according to figures from Cosmetics uh, skin chain, or chain Skin, in 2013, 1,376 men booked for laser hair removal appointments this year in the first nine months compared to a 781 in the whole of 2009. So they're saying... <laughs> Laser hair removal appointments with men going up. The same year, a guy named Ray Kanpur of the male grooming salon Drakes of London. You've heard of this, I know. Drakes of uh, London. They told the Daily Mail, it goes, we have noticed a year-on-year increase of the number of men coming in for hair removal and leg waxing in particular has nearly doubled in popularity in the last two years. Really? Men want their legs waxed. Really? That's what no, you're saying. I, I do. I know some people that... Don't want a lot of body hair. So what they're saying is it could be any number of things, but if you get massages yeah. and there's leg hair, sometimes the hair will get pulled out of the leg as they're right. giving you a deep tissue massage. But that's why I like leg hair because my masseuse, I actually found her ring in my leg hair and you know sold it for cash. So on the other side of it, women's health, 
magazine carried out a survey of its own asking followers, what do you think about guys shaving their legs? And? More than 50% of respondents said they favor a man who either trims his leg hair or shaves it completely while under just half said they prefer a man's legs all natural. Yuck. Okay, flush it. Hey, just on that one, maybe flush it again. (laughs) Let's get a double flush. That one just gives me a bad feeling. Just saying. Hey, okay, so did you hear this story about a secret treasure was found? A historic banknote was found inside an ancient Chinese sculpture. Huh. Check this out. From the Ming Dynasty. Did they break the sculpture? Of course. Okay. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not every day that you get to hold a 700-year-old banknote in your hands. Wow. But they found it. Uh, they It was auctioned off at the Moss Green Auction House. And what it was, it's a 14th century wooden Buddhist sculpture. Wow. And hidden inside the cranial cavity of this man's head um, was a crumpled up piece of paper. Wow. And the paper happened to be a 700-year-old Ming Dynasty banknote from China. It's among the earliest printed currency in China. Pretty cool. Was it immediately suppressed by the government? Yes, it was then immediately suppressed. Things happen there. Yeah. It's typical to find materials such as rolls, relics, grains, incense, semi-precious stones. But very rarely do you find, you know, cash. Wow. 700-year-old cash. Um, anyway, I'm trying to look for the if, the, if it, by the way, they, they auction off about six, about 500 sculptures a year. And um, guess what? Never finding anything inside. This time they found a banknote. And so far they haven't been able to price what it's worth. Oh, wow. And they haven't auctioned it off yet. Huh. Cool, huh? Yep. Give it a flush. Flusher. A woman in Amherst Junction, Wisconsin, has been charged with disorderly conduct after she allegedly spread peanut butter on 30 cars that she believed belonged to Donald Trump supporters. Really? Turned out the cars actually belonged to members of the Tomorrow River Conservation Club. So, political in a different way. Yeah. It says witnesses said the 32-year-old Christina Ferguson stormed into the club meeting Monday night holding what... Many reported as being a family-sized jar of low-sodium, creamy, natural Jif. So she got the good stuff. Yeah. Um, the suspect allegedly yelled at the club members about how much she hated Trump before being asked to leave. She complied with the request. A few minutes later, members started worrying that she might be doing something with that family-sized jar of peanut butter. So they ran out of the parking lot, and a man identified in the official complaint as Mark Peterson told the sheriff's deputies that he saw Ferguson spreading peanut butter on one of the members' cars. He yelled at her to stop, and she ran away into a nearby apartment. <laughs> the cops were then called. They went over there. They noted that she had slurred speech, a strong smell of intoxicants, and ah. she was also licking her fingers because they yes. were covered in peanut butter. Somebody's... <laughs> Have a good um, night with peanut butter. The officer said she was quoted as saying, "Peanut butter is better than firebombing." That's a, you know what that do you remember the first year we started the show that was our motto. Yeah, peanut butter is better than firebombing. <laughs> bombing. Also later on, they said uh, the newspaper pointed out in the area. Fortunately, it wasn't chunky peanut butter because that would have scratched the yeah. vehicle. No, no, no. Yeah, always use the smooth, smooth peanut butter. Okay, so let's flush that, uh, Jeffrey. Flush that bad boy. One more story, and then we'll get to our BYU Sports Nation buddies. Did you guys know, according to scientists, they have identified 234 stars that are emitting signals consistent with what would be produced by intelligent alien civilizations? 
No. 234 stars. Two astronomers from Canada's Laval University, uh, E.F. Bora and E. Trottier, Trottier, have published a paper lovingly titled Discovery of Peculiar Periodic Spectral Modulations in a Small Fraction of Solar Type Stars, mm-hmm. which pretty much says what it is. And so what they're finding out is that um, there are 234 stars and they emit sound signals or not sound but signals that are so organized that they would they could very easily be from other intelligent life beings you know what i think it is what i think the stars yawn a lot and so their brains are bigger yawn thing yeah it's for sure. Brains are bigger when we yawn. We yawn is based on cooling off your brain, apparently. It's alien communication. Just stick with that. <laughs> Without getting too deep into the data, in essence, they found that these stars sent pulses of light that were interrupted by a constant time interval. In other words, the light signals coming from the stars came in consistent bursts. Mm. The signals, the astronomers say, have exactly the shape of an extra intelligence signal. Which is so like what? it must be consistently, I guess, repetitive enough that it must have an intelligent source behind it. I think it's coming from Pluto. It he, might be. We might want to get Pluto. He's kind of cranky. Yeah. Let's get Pluto on the line and talk about this. Anyway, flush it. But uh, when you flush it, just know that you are one invasion away from not even having to worry about Trump or Hillary anymore. So just... Yawn more so that we can figure yeah, out how you're back to, to, the brain. You're back to the brain. Yawn more so we can figure out how to, to beat these intelligent life forms. It's a great it's a great point, I guess. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation will be here talking to us about the big game last night. It was a close one. Oh, so close. But uh, no cigar. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Shake my bones and I shake them well. When I'm lying, you know you can tell. Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging from a telephone wire, squirming, squirming, pants are burning. When I lie, my lips start turning. Welcome back, friends. That is the liar, liar song from Big Comfy Couch, and uh, you know, <laughs> no, no connection to our next guest from B- from BYU Sports Nation. Uh, let's shoot it down to Jerem, Jordan, Brian, Logan. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there, guys? Yeah, yeah. can you hear us? Yeah, can you hear us? Yeah. Can you hear, can you hear me now? I we can hear me. You. Did, you guys, did you guys actually get to hear our song and intro, Liar, Liar? No. Uh, you, but you was missed it Liar, Liar? It was, it was, it was Liar, Liar, uh-huh. which is um, it was a, it's a clown who's calling somebody a liar. Because I have a feeling that BYU last, lost last night because of clowns. Clowns are now being blamed for everything in the country. Well, Was there a clown involved in the loss last night? Um, well, it depends what your definition of clown <laughs> is. Yeah, it depends yeah. on who the clown is. Who yeah. or, I mean, there's, there could be multiple who clowns. Who or what was the clown? Yeah. What a game. Yeah, yeah a crazy game. I crazy mean, it's, game. It's disappointing uh, that BYU lost that game, especially when they're plus five in turnover margin. Mm. In fact... Uh, BYU had five takeaways in the game. Yeah. Uh, so on the show today, we're going to give you our five takeaways in honor of the defense. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a very that's a great theme. 
Also, why did I have a potato peeler on set today? Oh, are you going to answer that or are you going to answer it now? And Spuddy Buddy. Oh. Those two have to do with each other. Oh, my gosh. That's coming up on the show. You guys are teasing us. Mm-hmm. Hey, who won the who won the, the, the guessing game? Is that what you call it? Uh, we will reveal. Oh, you, you haven't revealed it yet. Okay, yeah. Uh, on the show. Okay, yeah. that's Spencer good. Spencer Linton will lavish, uh, join us live or live us join. He'll lavish you yes. with his liveliness. Same difference. Yeah. Um, the game was incredible, and w- so what do you think happened? Because five turnovers, I guess, and what happened to the great running back of all time? Jamal, yeah. Where did he go? Jamal, um, so for from our understanding, he tweaked his ankle in practice oh, earlier no. this week and uh, kind of re-aggravated it during warm-ups and uh, – you know, we saw him on the sideline warming up on the on the tread on the bike and uh, with some of the trainers walking around and yeah. stuff like that, trying to get it going, and uh, just never could 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 turn it on. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was a, a big mm. part of the game uh, before it even started was not having Jamal there. Yeah, no, totally. Well, I mean, again, I think it was still a good sign. They've got a lot of good stuff going for them. They just took the 14th ranked team and almost beat them. Yeah. Again, by the way, one more point. What the? Come yeah. on. What? Six. Okay, the what? NCAA record for games decided by three or less is six. Sorry, seven. BYU's at six. <laughs> unbelievable, right? Oh, that is unbelievable. And it, and it stinks because despite uh, how inept the offense played and how right. uh, I wouldn't say the defense played amazing. They had five takeaways. They gave up 28 points in 571 yards. Yeah. It wasn't like they were flawless. Right. 571? Right. That's a lot. Um and we're down 14 nothing to start, and, you know, that's, that's tough. The offense had a field goal within Red Almond's range to win the game. Oh. But yet again, like 2004, <sighs> BYU missed that field goal. It was blocked and yeah. lost by the same exact score 12 years later. 28-27 oh. on the blue. Really disappointing. That could have been a, a season-defining, changing, mm. independent, swinging kind of win. Alas, it's a one-point loss. And I'm sure you're going to cover the the fourth down punt run out of the end zone play, which was crazy. And um, and <laughs> then I also want to hear Brian's yes, take on the first touchdown from the Broncos. That long pass, what that never would have happened with Brian there. Mm. <laughs> nope. Uh, no. See, right? Nope. Okay. Yeah, you're right. you're right. It wouldn't happen. Actually, it depends. I mean, we're talking about 2010, Brian. Yeah, which Brian? What year? Nine, Brian was like, was like Brian with DirecTV. 2010 was Brian with Cable. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a game. It was incredible. Hey, I've got some good news for you. I know you we I, need some. You, act, you asked me every time you see me, Jerem, you're always like, um, so Matt, why do so people Matt, yawn? Why do people yawn? That's what I always ask you. Well, I found oh, out the reason today. Do you know why? Why? Do you, do you guys yawn very much? When I'm tired. Yeah, when I, or when I see somebody yawn. Okay, so here's the change. trick. Here's the trick. You yawn because the people that yawn a lot have bigger brains. Hmm. I knew it! Because they believe yawning is to help cool down your brain. Oh, interesting. And so the bigger the brain, the bigger the brain, the bigger the yawn. Your brain can get hot. Yeah. Did you not know that? No. Yeah, you got a hot brain. Uh, it's the fan for your brain. Yeah. It's a brain fan. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I believe that, but that's an interesting idea. Yeah. 
No, I'm t- I'm serious. I a researcher actually studied that. Yeah, so it's all true. Hmm. Interesting. This one researcher put it in one journal. Mm-hmm. Therefore, yeah. truth. <laughs> so next time you're at a party and someone's yawning, Smart just say, dude. just say, yeah, dude, you must have a huge brain. Yep. I'm serious. It'll just the brain from Ninja Turtles was. You, yeah. You guys will be very very Crane. popular. Crane's his name. Crane is his name. What's the brain? His brain is no. His name is Crane. His name's Crane. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the just, second Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. And he has a brain. It's amazing. I he still, is a brain, dude. I still. Yeah. You just reminded me. You saved my life. I have. I read box that the other day. And you haven't turned my, it in. Nope. Still in my clothes. <laughs> so you have twelve bucks. See. <laughs> I got it Sunday. I got it Sunday. Uh, <laughs> oh no. On oh, the Sabbath. Wow. What is this ten dollar charge, Brian? Oh. That's that's expensive. Well, guys, um, we'll, well, I guess we got to let Brian go run that back really fast before the show. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. I guess we'll let you guys go. Everything else good? Anything else on the show we need to worry about? Worry? Or like, not worry about, but like get ready for and be teased oh, yeah. by? Spencer, going for two picks. Mm. Uh, your reaction. Hashtag BYUSN. Uh, send in uh, tweets and weigh in. What was your takeaway from last night's game? Man. Well, we're going to talk about it all. No Jamal, fourth and 19, that play. Uh, the offense. Is it time for a switch? We're going to, we're going to address all of them. Okay. Okay. Well, I trust you. It's, it's, of course, it's going to be another great show, as Spuddy always. Buddy, buddy has it coming. That's all I have to say. Buddy, buddy. <laughs> buddy, buddy. Okay, guys, have a great one. Knock them dead. Remember who you are. I'll knock uh, a certain potato, then. There you go. <laughs> I can hardly wait to see you. I guess you're gonna you're going to peel the potato, and well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Just, just stick with us, folks. Mm. Five more minutes, no more mysteries. Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Peace out. Peace out. Boy, oh boy. Hey, um, you know, earlier in the show, I warned you about the importance of not eating um, ghost peppers. Let me give you one more thing not to eat. Again, it seems like this would be obvious, but for some odd reason, everything's not obvious to every human. Apparently, some teenagers uh, are getting a reputation on Vine. Uh, Vine is a social media network where you can watch little videos and what are the videos? Six seconds of chaos. And it's they go viral, and so one of the one of the ones one of the viral videos that's gone crazy is hashtag flaming cactus challenge. And apparently, what these kids do is they go and take a cactus, like a a desert cactus, a cactus, cacti, a cactus, right? And then they with you know they just cut off a piece of it. Well, they cut they cut off like a a large piece of it, and then they light it on fire, so it's burning. Okay. And then what they really do that seems like above and beyond is they then try to eat it while it's still yeah okay flaming mm-hmm. yeah yeah. <sighs> now, this is our future, America. We have kids. By the way, he's not even a kid. The headline's called self-proclaimed idiot eats a flaming cactus. In – wait for it. Wait for it. 
Hashtag the Flaming Cactus Challenge. So as if we didn't even need to say this, I'm going to say it. One ought not to eat a cactus or a flaming cactus at any point in your life. Never. If you were dying in the desert, don't even eat a flaming cactus. It's not so bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's more tingly than hot. <laughs> yeah. Actual video of the self-proclaimed uh, idiot. I guess there's – I'm not saying that to be rude. That's actually his title. Um, taking on the flaming cactus challenge as he literally placed a flaming cactus in his mouth. Um why are kids so bored today? I don't know. I think it's because their parents are too overwhelmed by the whole election. It's sad. We're losing them, folks. Turn off the TV and go start paying attention. And if you have a cactus in your home, get rid of it. Wait, so we can turn off our TV and our phones and that's yeah, turn okay? It turn it off. Oh. Yeah. That's one of the public service announcements we've been making on the show is you can just turn it off. Seems like a scam to me. No, you just turn it off. If it stresses you out, turn it off. Pretty simple. I'll think about it. (laughs) I'm not quite sold yet. As you know, too, we always like to end the show on a hero story. Our hero story today is a Tennessee middle-aged counselor who's being hailed as a hero after she talked to a 14-year-old boy um, who came to school with a loaded gun out of his alleged plans to shoot teachers and a police officer. Molly Hudgens, a counselor at Sycamore Middle School in Pleasant View, Tennessee, single-handedly prevented a potential deadly mass shooting. Shortly after the first period class uh, on that day, that 14-year-old student requested to speak to Hudgens, according to the sheriff. Upon entering her office, he started asking various questions that alarmed her, and uh, she sensed something was wrong. After asking if he had a gun, the student affirmed that he did and that he was holding it under his clothing. Breedlove said the teen then advised Miss Hudgens that he was going to kill some teachers and a police officer, not students. The 14-year-old indicated that she would uh, be the only one to talk him out of it. So Hudgens spent nearly an hour talking to the armed 14-year-old and eventually convinced him to give her the gun, saving the lives of those teachers. Unbelievable, the pressure she had on her shoulders. So thank heavens, folks, for your teachers, for the counselors. Make sure you go up and thank them personally. They don't get a lot of attention until they do something wrong. But here's a great example of one that did everything right, and people are alive because of it. That's the show, my friends. We will be back uh, Monday. More ideas to, to make your life better, healthier, to help your relationships as well. Um, it's life, folks. It's not always easy, but it is yours, and it's the only one you're going to get. So let's make the best of it. Until Monday, let's take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk Monday.